Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! And now, Superman. A being no larger than an ordinary man, but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on Earth. Able to leap into the air an eighth of a mile at a single bound. Hurdle a 20-story building with ease. Race a high-powered bullet to its target. Lift tremendous weights and rend solid steel in his bare hands as though it were paper. Superman. A strange visitor from a distant planet. Champion of the oppressed. Physical marvel extraordinary who has sworn to devote his existence on Earth to helping those in need. Yes, it's Superman. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Third Degree Burn. I am John, one of the hosts today, and we have a great show today because we're going to be talking about the rest of the Man of Steel miniseries. From uh, episode or uh, <laughs> episodes, episodes, issues four through six, and with us today is Brian Hughes. Say hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Hey, great. And Tim yeah, Scott Gardner. Again. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. Scott's gonna channeling Scott Gardner. Tim Elliott. Hello. Channeling no one. And Kirk <laughs> Greenfield. Hey, Kirk. You're the disease, and I'm the cure. <laughs> oh. that's chilling Kirk's not feeling well today Sly guys. Stone uh, has stopped he's, by the he's, studio he's, he's yeah. channeling Brenda Vaccaro and David <laughs> is at the Fortress of Solitude um, uh, playing around with some of Superman's uh, toys and whatnots and uh, uh, we'll ho- hopefully see him next next time so what's going on guys what's happening you're channeling Andy there now that's yeah. good <laughs> I just listened to an episode of the Palace of Glittering Delights that he released last week and had a really great time with it. So, Yeah, that was on Friday the 13th, the TV series? Yes. Yeah, I, I was getting into that, and I, I got uh, sidetracked on a bunch of other stuff, so I'm looking forward to going back and listening to that. There's a Tim Elliott I mean, you know, the sighting. There's a Tim oh, yeah? Elliott sighting at the end. Yes, indeed. Uh, the the pro- Letter hack Tim Elliott uh, wrote into Palace. He did. That's the one. <laughs> well, Free anyway, publicity. We get our get our name mentioned out there. That's, that's always right. good. I I've been writing into Mashcast. I've, I've been actually trying to get Rob Kelly to to get me on a, an episode or three of the show. I was supposed to do one in the first season, and my father, um, being in his eighties, whenever he says, "Hey guys, we all need to get together," I have to drop everything and get together with my father. So. Yes. Um, I, I had to, to bow out of that gracefully, and I'm, I'm afraid that he won't invite me back because of that. Yeah, you know, just that, that I, you know, he had to reschedule someone else to the last minute because oh, his show is on such a thing. But they're on season five, and some of my favorite episodes of Nash were season five. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is Man of Steel issues four, five, and six. And uh, for those that um, you know, just this, this may be their first. Uh, episode of third degree burn that they're listening to um obviously you're here because you're a fan of john Byrne, and this this podcast is about all things john Byrne. 
And what we're covering right now is the Man of Steel, John Burns seminal series of Superman, where he took over the reins of writing and drawing Superman and uh, started off with his six-issue miniseries, The Man of Steel. In our last episode, we covered issues one, two, and three. So today we're going to be covering four, five, and six. And I'm going to start off here with issue four. Um, but before I do that, uh, did you guys have any burn-related information or anything that you wanted to talk about this week? I don't. Anybody uh, reading Elsewhen and seeing the the last page of uh, Elsewhen that uh, came out Thursday? Yeah, we Thursday. just finished the what is it? Issue twenty-six of Elsewhen. Yes. And uh, the the final page was a a, a nice, beautiful surprise, uh, letting us know what's coming up uh, very soon. But also that the next issue of Elswine is the beginning of a uh, John Burns version of Wolverine's origin. Interesting. And this includes Alpha Flight. Uh, we've seen that uh, Shaman Vindicator Heather. Uh, are, are there to um, uh, to help Logan as they know that something's wrong. And apparently, uh, based on the information that Shaman supplied, he'd been archiving uh, all members of Alpha Flight's memories through some arcane magic, I'm, I'm assuming. So he, yeah. could, he could conceivably, if someone were to die, he could restore, kind of do a Picard on him. He could create yeah. the body and put their memory back in. Wow, did or, he do that to, to Langowski? They could. To Sasquatch? He, he could do it to, to uh, Guardian. He could do it to, uh, or is it more likely he's, but, gonna re he's going to restore? Why, why did he do that for Sasquatch then? <laughs> that's, that's a question. I mean, well, because, well no, they had, they had his mind. They just didn't have a body. That's right. Cause yeah, they he came mind. back because he came back in Snowbird's body, didn't he? Uh, well, they, and they put him in box. Box. We came back as a woman, didn't he? At yeah. one point, yeah, yeah, yes, because he was the white Sasquatch, not the the orange one. Yes, mm. interesting stuff. That yeah, was beyond very... my kind of reading. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, so I'm I'm excited yeah. for that. Yeah, so... that. A new a new issue starts tomorrow, Monday, the fourth of October, and um, so I, I, you know, just really really curious as to where that's going to go. I got to get caught yeah. up. Because I, I only read them when they're finished. I think I'm up to issue 24. So I'm like two behind. And I'm kind of hoping that, I mean, he's got a really full-fledged story going on and two other plot things hanging. Now he's introducing he's two more. He's got a lot of plates spinning in the air. I wish he would just, like, take the time to fully develop a story in, like, one or two issues with tiny little leads into the other ones. I, you know, this managing because that what happens is is like oh well, now i'm going to do the wolverine or, origin story so let me quickly wrap up what's happening now and <laughs> boom you know it's all this it's well, done I, in two panels and it's like and which is kind of what happened i think in with the alt x-men and i'm like yeah <laughs> just you, all this you know, build up and then what nothing this, what this kind of reminds me of and it's funny we were just talking a little bit but um is that the writing in this reminds me of his writing when he was on Alpha Flight. And and Byrne has actually, you know, been vocal about the fact that uh, while he wasn't happy with this, his artwork back at the time of Alpha Flight, he was incredibly happy 
with the writing he did on Alpha Flight. And when I look at, at, at his work on Alpha Flight, what I see is Byrne trying to get away from all the regular comic book tropes and to always do what you don't expect him to do. It, it's just he never takes a left turn when you expect a left turn. He always goes to the right. And he was you know, like he never got the team together except for in those, you know, small moments. Like, like killing the main character off 12 issues in. Yeah. And, and again, you know, the, the, since this is his his own baby and it's free of any editorial you know, direction, if he wants to kill somebody, he can. And it's not that he would want to kill him. It would just be that his muse would say to kill them. Yeah. But it's something that he could do and not really anything anybody could do about it. And I've seen on some of the, the Facebook boards, you know, some complaints from people. And then, you know, the people that proclaim to be fans always giving the backhanded compliments and and things like that. So it's like, you know, you can see that there are things that he's doing that are kind of annoying people. But, I, I you know, it's, it's not bugging me so much. I mean, yeah, I would love to have a story go one way, but it seems like every three pages he's changing to a different plot item and he's trying to keep them all moving. You know, at least he's not, you know, for, you know he's not doing like they did with Django Maximoff in Avengers where – you saw him in issue like 164, 165, and then you didn't see him again for another like 20 issues and have him come back up or something that Claremont would do where he had all these different plot items that just kind of flittered away. When Byrne realized that he had let one, one plot item kind of go by the wayside, and that was Colossus's leg, um, he just said, whoops, I made a mistake here and I forgot to move this one along so i'm just going to remove it from there and he went back and fixed all the images i wish he wouldn't have i, I think that that would have been fun part of it which yeah. is fine because uh I, you know yeah i, I see what you I, I hear what you're saying brian and i, I agree with it to a point mm-hmm. don't be dragging it a, a a plot build up for you know 20 issues but to have four concurrent stories going it that's like x-men hidden years it's my complaint with x-men hidden years it's like we've got three different things going all the time and you're you're going for two pages and suddenly you've got three more pages of another story it's like yeah it it jumps back and forth a lot from just the stuff we've covered he it's it's to your point john it's two three pages then jump back and then a couple pages and so it's like switching channels when you're watching yeah. tv or, or reading yeah yeah exactly and then and then he gets to the point at the end of the issue it's like oh i'm ready to do the wolverine story but I still have this full on Nagari demon thing. And it's just like, Oh, he's going to resolve it in two pages rather than, you know, and it's kind of a letdown. And a lot of them have kind of been let down or someone swoops in to save the day, you know? Um, Well, the, the Reed Richards, uh, Reed Richards with his ultimate sentinel nullifier. (laughs) Yeah. That that one is like, why aren't the X-Men, you know, resolving their issues? And and so far it's Reed Richards doing it. Now it's going to be Shaman doing it. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that is definitely a valid, I don't. I don't know if I can call it a complaint, but it, it's a valid point that it, criticism. It, and you know what? It's yeah. It, you know. So yeah. you know, I, I just think. Go ahead. I'm, I'm not saying do the Claremont thing where it takes you know 20 issues. Although I didn't care because that gets you interested in it when it finally does happen. But um, you know, uh, give us a full story and a full issue with maybe a page or two or a panel or two, which is how, you know, like Levitz used to do it. 
you know, you got a panel or two of a, oh, meanwhile, blah, 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 blah. And then you get back into the real story and then you can like pay full attention to it. So that that's all. I mean, it's, it's just, it's the way that the stories are inserted that are kind of like jarring back and forth or like Tim said, oh, you're just, you're watching three, three different TV shows at the same time and you're flipping back and forth. It's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I think he did a better job when he would he would do that that type of storytelling when he was doing FF, and he would seed stuff that would later pay off. And he did I thought a much better job of making a little more linear or uh, or cohesive story, so that instead of jumping back and forth, he would just kind of hint at things that would then right. come up, and then here's the story. Well, yeah. let me ask you. You know, you've been waiting until he's finished each issue before you read it, right? That's why. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or a couple issues. I'll at all. Now, when was the last time you did did a, a read up? I mean, what what are you up to? Uh, I think twenty four. So I, 24. I I'm not into the into the alpha, alpha flight stuff at all. Well, the the, the question is on the, those previous storylines. Did you feel like you're getting jerked about, or was it yeah. just regular comic book flow? It's a little I mean, bit. You, I mean, just from us from you know, and a lot of times it's within the same story. He'll jump back and forth. Uh, like he did a lot of that with the alt X Men. He did some of that with. Um, uh, with the the you know, and to John's point of him, kind of wrapping things up, like the who are the broccoli people? You know, they kind of came in and then suddenly, oh, let's get out of here. They're gone, and they just leave, and yeah. that resolve that story. You know, um, and you know, I I think it shows that the difference between working with an editor and working on your own, because I think an editor would kind of would would trim this a little bit and kind of give him some guidance as to where to do and you know hey you know get, get an objective outside view to go wait a minute this doesn't make sense why don't you do this or why don't you change that just a little guiding yeah. hand yeah no that's a good point now I, um i'm gonna sidetrack it's just oh go ahead Kurt. you're saying earlier that burn was very pleased with his writing on alpha flight i'd yes. always heard that he was undissatisfied with alpha flight he did it because he had to because the suits offered it to him or or wanted well, and if he didn't well, do it a, they were going to do it there's a couple things to understand here is that number one he didn't want to do alpha flight that's right. true but at the same time when they said well if you're not going to do it we're going to give it to somebody else and he's like right. well crap they're my babies i don't want that to happen so i will go ahead and do it but i, I, I you know and again you don't know the the inner workings of the man's mind you just know the things that he's told us over the years and along with you know, not having wanted to do it originally, he had some, you know, stuff going on in his life. And he's been vocal about this, too, is that he's had things going on in his life where he was just having a much more difficult time doing the work. Uh, and he says that it showed up in his art. He said that his art suffered. But when he got down to it, because, you know, he saw that the characters were limited in the fact that the only reason why he created them in the first place was that the X-Men would have somebody to fight against. Right. Someone that would be able to hold their own against the X-Men. They weren't fleshed out enough that that he saw them as, you know, characters. three-dimensional characters that were full of life, like the, the X-Men that he'd been working on. So it was an effort to to do those things and to try to flesh them out. And ultimately what he said was is that he felt that that was some of his best writing. In, in, you know, in making the effort of trying to flesh them out and, and put them the way that they are. Oh, and I enjoyed it, Alpha Flight. There's no question 
Yeah. I really liked the series, and I thought I was so surprised when I heard he didn't like it or didn't want to do it. It was like, boy, you sure didn't get that from from the uh, the, the first two years, uh, right? But- Think You're about right. John Basima. John Basima does not did not like doing superhero comics. He would rather have been doing Conan type stuff the entire time, but he had to pay the bills. And he did so much superhero work over the years. And if you look at all that stuff, it's gorgeous. That there, it looks like there's true love in his artwork. Yeah, he's not going to phone it in. But right. Well, the thing, and I've been vocal about this about Alpha Fight. That the thing that I love so much about it was it was so Canadian centric. And it was really separate from the superheroes, you know, south in New York and, you know, West Coast. And that he really, he really leaned into that. He went into a lot of the mythology and some of the background of uh, some of the myths of Canada. And I, I would love for him to do, if he gets tired of doing Elsewhere, go back and visit Alpha Flight. I don't know what he's doing in the, in the book now, but pick it up after you left it. As yeah, if you immediately. Didn't you know, that would be fun. Yeah. Again, if he gets if he gets the itch, then that's that's what he'll do. But he's still following his itch right here, and he seems to be enjoying himself. He's just kind of wondering why more word hasn't gotten out about it. And and it, interestingly enough, last Thursday night um, there was a there there's a uh, podcast that goes on, I guess, weekly or every so often with Joe Casada and a bunch of other artists. Uh, called Drink and Draw. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that. The Thursday night show was supposed to be an homage to Burn, and ironically enough, within the very first few minutes before he really even started talking, Joe Casada's connection dropped, and so you didn't see him there for a while. And you know the guys gushed on Burn in the first few minutes, and then when Casada got back and they asked him basically, you know, were you inspired by Burn and you? work and he goes no and he says you know basically he came in after burns you know big splash and everything that burn had happened so he didn't really feel like he was in any way and then their conversation just went to the drawings that they were working on because they're doing this on youtube and they're they're actually drawing stuff and one of the guys was doing a great version of puck uh, that i thought was cool another guy was working on uh, burns uh, flash from legends a version of that and I never saw what Casada was doing because as their their conversation and stuff trailed away from Burn, I got really, really bored and I just finally turned it off because I just I was like, well, this is not what I'm listening for. I wanted to hear them talk more about Burn. I was curious if Casada was going to touch on um, Hidden Years because, you know, Casada is the one that killed Hidden Years and he didn't kill it because it was wasn't selling well. He killed it because. He wanted to get. He, he basically wanted to streamline the X books, and he just felt that that one. He wanted something else to go out instead of Hidden Years. And I don't know whatever it was that he put out in its stead and how well it did. I just know that he canceled a book that was successful, and that's why pretty much why Burn doesn't want to work for Marvel because if they're going to be stupid enough to kill a successful book, right? Why work for them? Yeah. Well, we're here for Man of Steel. Yes, and so I will go ahead and get us into Man of Steel. (laughs) Okay, all right. Goat's back. That's a lot better than that. that, um, The phone alarm that um, David was working. No, there was something that David was doing last week or last time. It was was like uh, off of his uh, phone. Oh, 
Yeah, and he had then, a timer. Uh, he had a timer set. Yeah, a timer, but it was just kind of, I, I don't know what it was. Anyway. It's very strange. <clears throat> here we go. I'll be covering uh, Man of Steel issue four. Um, it, of course, uh, has a cover date of November 1986, but the on-sale date was August 21st, 1986. Cover price of 75 cents. Page count of 32. The title, Enemy Mine. Now, when did the Dennis Quaid... Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. movie Enemy Mine come out. It's like right around the same time, wasn't it? It's close, but I think that's a title that's not. It's yeah, I know it's it's been it's used been a lot forever. I mean, it's Shakespearean. I mean, but yeah. Anyway, uh, writer pencilers John Byrne, anchor Dick Giordano, with an asterisk. Uh, letter John Costanza, colorist Thomas J. Zuko, and uh, this has been reprinted many times, of course, in the Man of Steel trade paperback. Uh, the Superman versus Lex Luthor trade paperback and uh, a number of other uh, digital reprints. The cover, of course, is also by John Byrne. And um, you look at that cover, um, you see, of course, uh, Superman uh, protecting Lois from some guy with a machine gun and Lex Luthor standing by with a cigar looking oh so familiar from something from the last several years. Anyway, uh, I'm going to move off of that and go into my synopsis. <clears throat> Intrepid Daily Planet reporter Lois Lane, dressed in a very expensive evening gown, arrives early at the Metropolis apartment of fellow reporter Clark Kent to take him to Lex Luthor's massive cruise liner, the Sea Queen, for one of Lex Luthor's extravagant parties. Lois tours Clark's apartment, then calls him a swine for beating her to the first Superman exclusive. But before they get into an argument about it, she sends Clark off to shave. Here we get to see Clark think step-by-step step through his shaving process using a mirror-reflective piece of the Kryptonian spacecraft that brought him to Earth with his heat vision to singe off each and every little grown hair from his face. Clark finishes getting dressed in his tux and finds Lois in, the, in his living room doing curls with his weight set. The two head for the roof of Clark's apartment building to find a LexCorp helicopter there to take them to Lex's luxury liner. It's during the trip to the ship that we to the ship that we find out that Luther's one of the richest, most powerful men in the world, practically owns Metropolis. And while he does many things that may flagrantly skirt the law, he's never been implicated in any criminal activity as he's pretty well covered himself. <clears throat> Once Lois and Clark arrive at the massive ship, they're escorted to a lavish private area where they're greeted by Lex Luther himself. Luther takes a moment to introduce himself to Clark, then quickly asks for a moment with Lois to see if she likes the dress he gifted her. Lois gets upset, stating that she would not have worn the dress if she thought it was a gift, thinking it was just a loner for the night. Lois calls Clark back and borrows his coat and his large frame so that she can change out of the dress. Now wearing Clark's dinner jacket, Lois attempts to storm off with, with Clark, the evening seemingly ruined. <clears throat> it is here that the evening truly gets ruined as Lois finds herself face to muzzle with a Venezuelan terrorist with a machine gun. Several terrorists make themselves known, brandishing their guns. Clark quickly gets in front of Lois, and before he can do anything, the terrorists pistol whip him and throw him off the side of the ship. Lois looks over the side, thinking Clark is dead, when the terrorists hurt her with all the other party guests, including the mayor. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Luther watches from a hidden area, thinking, perfect, perfect. Then everyone aboard the ship Everyone aboard feels a shift in the deck as Superman takes the entire luxury liner out of the Atlantic Ocean from underneath. Lois takes a moment 
of shock from the terrace to incapacitate one of them with a well-placed kick. She takes a gun from him and starts firing at the unprepared terrorist. Meanwhile, Superman flies the massive ship to its destination, Luther's private island, Shangri-La. He sets the vessel gently down in the harbor and finds that Lois has most of the terrorists pinned down with her judicious gunfire. One terrorist, though, has a drop on her, but before a single bullet can hit her, the Man of Steel flies in between the bullets and Lois to get them to harmlessly bounce off his body. Superman then grabs the muzzle of the terrorist gun and grinds it all the way down to the trigger with just his hand, advising the stunned terrorist to let go before he goes any further. As Superman disposes of the remaining bits of the gun, Lois and Mayor Berkowitz both commend Superman for his timely rescue. It is here, though, that Lex Luthor shows back up and offers Superman a check for $25,000, a retainer for his services. Luthor proclaims that Superman is now on his payroll. Superman quickly refuses, but Luthor brushes it off, stating the terrorists were expected and his own security were capable of handling them. But Super Luthor held them back so he could see what Superman could really do. The mayor and Superman are both incredulous that Luthor would allow such a thing to happen. And Lois reminds them all that Clark Kent was apparently killed by the terrorists, though Superman covers. But saying by saying he took care of Kent, it is here that the mayor has decided he's had enough. He deputizes Superman and orders him to arrest Lex. Superman performs his duty. Next, the Metropolis police take mugshots of Lex, fingerprint him, and put him in what appears to be an empty holding cell. Three days later, Superman quickly helps a very pregnant woman stuck in the Metropolis subway to the hospital so that she may give birth. As Superman goes to leave the hospital, he becomes aware of feeling that someone is taking his picture. He does not see anyone anywhere with, his, with the camera, though, and he is about to leave when Lex Luthor confronts him and gives him a message. He then tells Superman he is going to die soon and he'll know who's responsible. Everyone will know who's responsible, but no one will ever be able to approve it. The end. <clears throat> prove it. Excuse me, guys. My throat got rusty there. I hope you haven't caught my bug. You know, I thought this story was the one where he got his ring. But does that happen well, later issue on? Issue two, yeah. Okay. Now, um, before we really start uh, looking at it piece by piece, one thing I want to tell you is that uh, before we got on today, I went ahead and pulled out my collection again. And yes, my back is screaming. Um, and I pulled out the original paper, um, you know, copies of the uh, issue. And I was really surprised um, when I did this because I, I didn't realize that they had recolored Lois's hair completely because in the original comic, her hair is black like Superman's black with the blue highlights. But in all the digital copies that I've, I'm looking through, she's got brown hair. Well, she's got black hair on the cover. Yeah, she's got black. Yeah, that's the blue, right. That the blue, the blue, black hair. Yep. But inside it's all, it's all brown. In fact, and I, I found this interesting, and I kind of tried to look around and see if I could find anything about it. But Lois is in, in the in the um, the digital reprints. Lois's image on that first page um, looks it looks like they borrowed that image when they designed Artemis from Ready Player One, uh, specifically when they were at the uh, Distracted Globe uh, Dance Club. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. Nope. But um, yeah, but it's, 
not very memorable. Yeah. And, and she's I wearing a dress that's that. like this, but it doesn't have the 80s shoulder pads. Um, and so I was like, when I saw that, when, when we were going through the these to to prepare for today, I was like, this image just, it keeps making me think of Artemis and Artemis in, in that dress. But that would be a real far, far stretch. I mean, they, they did do some a couple of homages to Superman, but that was just like, unusual and again if you look at the original image she's got black hair and just the way it does it she looks nothing like her there is her dress only... kind of a pink or a fuchsia in your yeah it original? is okay yeah well how was the earlier issues that she have brown hair or black hair in those brian because maybe that that issue was just a miscolor somebody no, didn't no. pay um, attention let me let me i'm pulling out issue one and issue two because several of them and she's I'm, consistently brown hair in my 1986 yeah. trade yeah. or 1989 trade so which came out just a couple of years after the series did right and and i mean she has got dark hair um as far as i can see all wasn't the way that a, wasn't that a a, a a change that they made if i remember right reading the wiki page that they made her like a brunette instead of being uh, black haired or kind yeah. of raven haired. That was that was an early that was a big thing back yeah. then, yeah. Yeah. But no, she is all black haired in the um, the series, definitely. Interesting. Yeah. Well, there are some coloring issues, not so bad in this issue as opposed to the next one we're gonna cover, but uh, and I think it's just that's just uh, from this whatever I'm this digital copy I'm looking at, whatever recoloring and reprinting and, it looks a little the color just even the inking looks a little uh off like it's a copy of a copy so it's not quite as refined yeah and it, i was sitting there again going through the the paper copy and i prefer the paper copy uh imagery altogether. it's just i don't know how to how to say it is as, as, as crisp and clear and the differentiation on the color the texture of the hair Everything in the original version is um, easier on the eyes to look at, as as far as you know as, as all that goes. Um, well, I think we brought up the, the, the colors are very very saturated. They're very bright. Yeah, uh, it's almost to a point where I mean, when she at first page, you see the hallway behind her is a bright lime green, at least in the, the one I'm looking at. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, see, I've got one where it's um, mint green on one the the one that's the single issue, I think. No, no, that's from the trade paperback uh, or the trade, the Man of Steel trade um, that I've got digitally. The in, individual issue is the one where it's incredibly bright lime green, and and then there's you know color things we'll see as we get into the book. There's a couple other things that I need to cover. Of course, uh, I forgot to mention. What all was published at the same time? Oh, now, yeah. of course, yeah. This was November 1986, so it was. Uh, we we covered this one last time, but again, Super uh, Batman 401, which was the Magpie cover for for Batman, uh, Doomsday Squad number four, which was a reprint of uh, Doomsday Plus One, Legends number one, uh, Marvel Fanfare number 29. That was the All Hulk splash page issue, man. Steel 3, Man of Steel 4, uh, Official Handbook on Marvel Universe, number 12, Sip to Sunspot. And, of course, that's where he just did uh, individual, you know, they, they took his art from various places and they may have done 
uh, one or two character profile shots. And then Vigilante number 35, which was just the cover. Um, and so, yeah, again, as far as what he really did uh, in that time, probably Legends and Man of Steel were the things that he did. And then, of course, the Vigilante cover could have been done at any time. All the, the other stuff is either or in, the, in the Batman cover. Um, but, you know, Doomsday Squad and Legends and Marvel Fanfare were probably done. Uh, I mean, sorry, Doomsday Squad and Marvel Fanfare were probably done quite a while before. Well, we we brought it up in the previous show, but these were for this limited series. These were put out twice a month, so you're getting two yeah. issues every month. So mm-hmm. he was and sure it, busy. it was you know in the previous months as he was finishing up his work on Fantastic Four, uh, you know he had a lot of time there where nothing was being published, and so he's probably sitting there work putting all that work in in those months when that was being you know when that was going on. Um, covered uh, Marvel Fanfare 29 in episode 50. Hmm. Now, what else did I uncover? Um, yeah, Lois Lane mentioned that it's been 17 months, two weeks, four days, and an odd number of hours since Clark beat her on the scoop from Superman. So it's basically 18 months since Superman made his presence known to Metropolis. Uh, Lois unflatteringly compares Lex Luthor to Fred Mertz. Uh, and for those that um, don't know who Fred Mertz is, he was a character on a 1950s TV series, I Love Lucy. And so that was one of those things where Byrne may have dated himself a little bit. I knew what it was. Well, I, I, mean, I think in 86, 70s. maybe many people would have known who Fred Mertz was. Yeah. But today, oh, yeah. I'm sure they have no idea. But today, it's right. And um, there was a comment. Let me see if I can make this bigger because I it's too small for me to read. So, okay, yeah. Uh, in the Byrne Forum, uh, they're having a discussion about his um, – about his Lex Luthor. And then someone, you know, says, yeah, you know, he did all this, all that. And then, and this post was from 2009. And then he eventually became president. And (laughs) Burns comment to this, and it's really hard to find a dumber concept outside Watchmen. I really have no idea what he meant by that. Basically talking about the concept of Watchmen being dumb. But the funny thing is that was what Byrne has, you know, said more than one occasion that his Lex Luthor was based a little bit, a lot on Donald Trump. And the fact that in the comics that years ago that Lex Luthor became president of the United States and eventually Donald Trump himself became president of the United States is not something that people seem to bring up a whole lot. And I just find it really funny, well, ironic. Well, that's that's the big thing with this issue. This is one. It's our intro, really our big introduction to to Luther. Yeah. But it's the first time that he's established as a uh, as a ruthless businessman, not a crack you know crackpot scientist. scientist. Yeah, uh, he's which makes sense for the eighties. It absolutely makes sense with the eighties. But I think that wasn't Burns' idea. I think that that groundwork was laid by was a Wolfman. That wanted to make Luther a well, businessman, uh, not that wasn't Burns' idea. It, the, the thing is, Wolfman had given him this this, I guess, a write up or whatever, and he says, you know, you see a, a a mountain range outside of Metropolis, and there's a gigantic chalet where Luther uh, lives. Luther, the ruthless businessman, lives with his woman Lois Lane, who's attracted to power. <laughs> and Burns like, okay, I like the businessman aspect, but I hate everything else. Oh. And that's all he took from it. So he gives him a and, private island instead of a mountain retreat. 
Right. But he <laughs> yeah. didn't want mountains outside of Metropolis, I guess, as, as, as this thing there. But he also didn't like that characterization of Lois Lane at all. I don't and, either. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little um, character. <clears throat> yep. Um, and then I already talked about that. Uh, I, I did find a story that there is actually uh, a fentanyl ring in Baltimore that's called Lex Luthor. Oh God! Wow! Yeah, <laughs> I just uh, found that found that rather interesting. And um, the one other point to make up is that uh, Emmett Vale has a, a, a sort of appearance in this issue. Is he's the one that takes the picture of Superman? He doesn't, you know, oh, that, that Superman sense. The question is, how does Superman sense a picture was taken from? Unless he heard the click of the shutter. Heard the click probably and the wind, the camera. Yeah. Well, like, they, 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 right. His super senses. They, they, he actually brings it up, I think, in the last issue that he says, but his super senses is the world is basically an open book to me. So he can kind of see um, everything. And this issue also brings up more of Burns explaining of Superman's, you know, it's the, sh- the famous shaving scene. You know, he went to the point like, well, how does Superman shave? He's got, yeah, you know, you couldn't shave with the regular, so he has to, uh, you know, burn it off basically with a uh, with his heat vision. And I'm assuming that's how he cuts his hair too. Uh, so he must get yeah. very good at cutting your hair. I don't know how he cuts his hair in the back unless he bounces it off something. But uh, well, he's using using this mirror. I mean, assuming he's probably got more than one piece he can use. Well, yeah, it says um, it's off his. Uh, I think it's off the rocket. Yeah, so it's Kryptonian metal, I guess. But um, look at this he, also the other way around. If he hadn't shaved, Superman would have shown up with five o'clock shadow. That's and actually would, become a plot point several times. <laughs> and would would Lois not have started to tumble? Probably. Well, he says later that that she's too smart to. Uh, it's in the next issue, but she says you know she's he has to be careful around her because he she he's worried about when she. Uh, she's doing his weights when he's getting ready. She says, "And why your, your weights are awfully light? These aren't much heavier than what I use." That's in this. That's in this one. Yeah. yeah. And he says, "You know," he says, "Well, I, you know, my super strength is hard for me to judge how heavy things are, you know, because he's trying to cover, you know, present a plausible explanation for why uh, Clark Kent is, you know, is, you know, in great shape. So he's he's constantly I mean, Burns putting a lot of work into him trying to work out this." alter ego that he's created and explain why Clark well, Kent no, looks no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Clark Kent is not the alter ego. No, no. I'm talking about Superman, but he's trying yeah. to explain, you know, he knows people are going to see Superman because he's in a skin tight outfit. So he's trying to go, he's going to a lot of trouble to explain why I've, I'm in great shape too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now uh, take a look though. Let's take a look at the cover here for just a moment. And Tell me, do the legs look elongated a little bit? I'd never noticed that until looking at it today. On Luther? No, Superman's legs, as he's flying in front of Lois on the front cover. Yeah. It's like his legs seem a little maybe elongated. Maybe, because it yeah. could be just the angle at which Superman's coming in. But um, And I do like the, the Luther in the all-black business suit. That, that kind that, of negative that, yeah, space that's a, that's a that's kind of a trope of burn. He likes to draw yeah. an all black kind of silhouette for somebody in like a, in a, in a suit. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and we didn't really bring it up in our other uh, episode, but 
all these issues, all these uh, covers have, they're all had, they, whatever kind of main character we're introducing is kind of profiled on the right as a separate image over some image from the book. So Superman had Superman, and I think there was Lois was in issue two. Mm-hmm. And Batman. Batman was issue three, and this one's got Lex Luthor. So if you look at them all together, they kind of create a, a kind of a pattern he's doing here. And at the top, Lex Luthor strikes. Right. <laughs> Wait, I saw a Canadian cover, and it had a, a price point of a dollar on it. Okay, this does have the dollar Canadian price on it, and 40p in the U.K., Mm. But looking again, that first page with Lois standing there in the doorway is an incredibly again, it's not as striking as in as issue two was where uh, Lois and, and, and Perry in the coffee shop. But still, you know, again, this is the first real glimpse of Clark Kent in Metropolis in that era that we get to see. And it's a good introduction because it shows him, you know, again, being, you know, normal, decent fellow, not. I guess you would say mild mannered so much as uh, they used to say part not being weak and sickly, not, you know, slumping or, or anything. He's a big guy. Yeah. I don't think he, he's leans into being mild mannered. He, uh, he just has to be a, a regular, he's not timid. He's not, uh, not a pushover. He's not yeah. a pushover. He's kind of, he's assertive, you know, he kind of, I don't, I don't know if you say openly flirts with her, but he's not, he doesn't try to play the kind of the, the wallflower. Um, yeah. I'm going to ask the, in page, I think it's page two at the bottom when he's, when he's uh, talking about, but she's looking at his football trophies and, his, and he goes, yeah. He's and that played. picture of him, I mean, again, you know, you can't really get a good idea of what that picture looks like, but no. did he purposely like muss his hair up and get mud all over his face so she couldn't see that he looks like Superman? I don't know, but. I was more at the bottom where he's he's mimicking <laughs> lifting weights. Yeah, that that seems like that's right out of Superman two. You know when he goes back to the diner. Oh, and, that's right. And he goes, "I've been lifting up," and he does that same kind of gesture. <laughs> yeah, and and it's funny because you know he says, "Of course, I still try to keep in shape," and she's like, mm, "You succeed." Yeah, she's she's noticing. You know, she's yeah. Uh, But when she calls him a swine, in those next two pages, the expression on her face, just anger and near rage. But, you know, it didn't stop her from, you know, getting Superman's hairstyle. Yep. <laughs> and this looks like a really cool bathroom he's got. The, the curved, rounded shower with the sliding glass door. It's kind of like, I guess it's Art Deco. What do I know about style? I don't know. It is kind of a cool. It's a cool bathroom. Got yeah, he's got a rocking apartment for a reporter in New York. Well, isn't it studio? I mean, it's it's all right there because he's got. A, it looks like a sofa bed or a futon. Is that a futon behind Lois in the first pa- first panel of the first of the second page? That's a couch. That's a couch. I don't know. That's don't a know. couch. He's got a recliner. He's got a, I guess, a big entertainment center. Nice desk. Nice desk. He's got a. He's got a. That's a probably pretty, but you know, I don't know what the square footage is. But if this was eighty six New York, I'm sure that's not a cheap apartment. No. He'll just but crush he, the lump he, of coal. He, yeah. Well, he can always go out and find lost gold in the ocean, or 
or something. Well, he, you know, I don't think he has to eat, so he, and he can keep the he doesn't have to keep the temperature either up or down, so we can save on utilities. He probably nah, he does all that. He does. He acts like a normal person. Yeah. Well, he would because he's raised like a normal yeah. person. Yeah. But um, the now he of course his electric razor is one that he has to keep plugged in all the time. But wouldn't your electric razor like vibrate off the counter? If you just probably, set it there while it was going, would. yeah, it probably would. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fact. And then, of course, you know, the the shaving technique I thought was was interesting. But like you said, how does he get the hairs on the back? You know, he'd probably have to have more than one of those things. Would he not be able to bounce his heat vision off of a regular mirror, or would it do like it did in Superman Three? I mean, right. it seems like he has to have this special uh, like Kryptonian metal to uh, yeah to stand up to his. Um, to his uh, uh, his heat vision, but yeah. I'm sure a regular mirror would just see burn all right through. Yeah, it just melt the glass. Yeah. Now I got to talk about the 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 panel where Lois is actually lifting the weights. I mean, her her stance there, her positioning and everything is exactly as you'd expect for for lifting weights like that for doing yeah, the curls like she's doing yeah, them. That's how you that's how you do it. But I mean, I don't think she might mess texture, up her dress. The texture of her dress, though, shows a lot of care, both in penciling and inking. I, I, I you know, just that's one of those that, you know, of course, they say Giordano did do the figure inks. So I have to assume he did that. And that's just masterful, uh, both the way Byrne did it and what he, what, how he handled it. The texture. Now, is that Zipatone that's actually used there on the parts right next to the pearls? I don't think so. I think that's just a different color. It doesn't look like it's a different like It's just a different color of, of ink. Yeah, because it kind of it looks like it may be kind of a satin dress. It may have some sheen to it. But Byrne has always been very conscious of, and, of being fashionable and drawing clothing pretty accurately. Yeah. What the thing is, I'm looking at the the printed copy, and it looks it's colored a lot better than the. Uh, the, the digital copies. The digital copies look <clears throat> look a little, you know, splatted on. Yeah. Um, splotchy, and the, the weights are purple. <laughs> yeah, my white. Yeah, that mine is. The purple. dumbbell yeah, is actually purple. purple. Yeah. I mean, in the in the other copy I have digitally, it, it's it's blue, whereas the the printed copy is gray with gray shadowing. Um. But. Uh, that, no, that's I, I like that panel, even though it's incredibly mundane. But Lois sitting there and the expression on her face, you know, doing the weights like that, I, it seems like there's, it's almost like she's trying to present an image of something rather than actually doing it, you know? Well, and they, and they also, uh, we, we establish here when they go to the roof with the helicopter and he makes a comment that I don't think this roof's meant to hold a helicopter, but... <laughs> need to worry about it uh and we get a little back you know a story that there is a little uh, uh history between lois and luther and that and it, it, clark seemed a little naive about who lex luther is because she says you know basically if the name's luther is on it's it's above the law you know he can kind of get away with whatever he wants he can do whatever he wants you know he can land where he wants to so um, but isn't he kind of playing at something there with his character? I mean, you know, part he may of it be. is maybe he's playing. He's playing the naive farm boy. Um, he's trying to see what she'll 
you know, say what what she'll tell. He may be trying to get. It from, um, yeah, he's a reporter. Maybe he's trying to get more information out of her. Yeah, that's that's how that's how it seemed to me. Um, and then as they get um, to the boat, the ship. Excuse me. Um, that looks like the Poseidon. It the does. Titanic. I mean, I mean, that's a huge. Ship. It's a huge. Yeah. It is huge, and they say it's it's um, bigger than the the Britannia. Um, Needless to say, there's no point on the hull where you can support a ship and it wouldn't buckle. It's designed for the the stress to be distributed across the entire hull, not just on one point. It's the old argument of how can Superman or the Hulk lift a fortress or a castle by the corner. Well, again, but that was, you know, that's one thing that Byrne went through great pains to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the Fantastic Four, when they had, um, what's his name? Gladiator. Uh, Gladiator. You know, he picked up the, the, the Baxter building on the corner mm-hmm. like that just to demonstrate that his power works differently than we think it does. That um, he's got, in, in this case, a, a sonic uh, electrochemical aura that, you know, as, as soon as Superman grabs something, it covers it. Much like the helicopter in Superman the movie that okay. falls, you know, at him and Lois, and he captures it by the strut, and that couldn't support the weight of the whole thing, and yet magically it does. And Burns' explanation of it with the aura, you know, basically allows it to cover that. So I well, thought he, that he, was actually right. I think this is more evidence, and we talked about this that his power is a little more. You know, he has a certain level of just raw strength, but for this, it's more psionic in that he is picking, because he mentions it himself, because this is, seems easier than I thought, and he goes to pick up the whole boat, so that, and I think later in one of the team-up issues, when he's uh, carrying that huge mound of earth into space. Yeah, the cemetery. Right, he talks about how, you know, it, when I pick things in the air, it seems to be, they seem to be lighter than when I'm picking things up in the ground. Lifting. Yeah. Yeah, so... So there is a good amount of super strength there, but the the psionic part of it takes over in a, a tactile form of telekinesis, much like yeah. what Connor Kent displayed uh, when he was uh, in, in the Superboy stories. Back to uh, the this this thing here, as we get to page seven, that's uh, where they're basically walking through Luther's ship and talking with, uh, I guess, the porter. Um, one of the things interesting is that look at Clark's. Um, in the second panel, first and second panel, Clark's uh, demeanor and everything is disposition in, in those is it got his hands in his pockets and everything about that just looks so casual. natural. I mean, that, yes. very casual, but I mean, it looks very human. You know, this, this is, you know, one of the things that Byrne does really, really well, whether it's the mundane or whatever. Um, you know, he definitely took you know pains to look at people in these things or look at pictures or modeling or whatever and uh, carry that over into his artwork. So it's all very impressive. Well, I, I think I would share also that he's been living in Metropolis for at least a year and a half now, maybe before that, before <laughs> yeah. he revealed himself. But he, you know, he grew up on a farm. He's not used to dressing up, even though he wears a suit yeah. to work. Um, so that would, I think that kind of shows that he's, uh, he's not kind of, he's not putting on airs, you know, he's not, He's just uh, trying to, to relax and, you know, and he's more curious about, and same with Luther. He walks in, he's got his jacket off. He's got his hand in his pocket. 
He's got an enormous bow tie. Uh, and then he tries to give uh, Lois, a, Lois. A, little, a little smooch, and she's like, no, turns her head. No, turns her head. You know, it's funny. You look at the image of Luther on the front cover, and there is a powerful businessman. You know, this is like the portrait image of them. The one that he wants everybody to see, the image that he wants to project the as a powerful businessman. Yeah. Yeah. But when you see this image of Luther, he's standing there and he's paunchy and his his hair is not quite kempt. And, you know, he just he he looked does definitely does look more like Fred Mertz here than the powerful, powerful businessman. So it's like the reality versus the, the image he wants to present. Well, that's just it. If he you know, I was I'm curious if this was being done today, would he be more in sh better shape because if he's a man in control that much control he would i think it would that would extend to his body he would make sure that he was he worked out and he uh probably you know would be in good fighting shape and maybe even he would do something about his receding hairline uh but i think this is an 80s businessman that you know i can be schlubby and balding but i'm super powerful so people have to still like me and respect me and I can get what I want no matter how I look. Yeah. But as far as all that, what, how would he do that stuff later? We, we've seen how the model came out. Um, but I'll go on from that. Uh, the next page uh, is, of course, the page where Lois discovers that her dress was a gift and not a loner. And what I find interesting is the the panel in the bottom right hand corner um reminds me of annette o'toole who played lana lang in in superman 3 or in clark's mother in smallville do you guys see that what? or is that just me what, what page the bottom right panel on page nine where she is yell where she is angry at luther about the dress yeah i can I see it around the mouth maybe but, but uh, if no. you hadn't mentioned i wouldn't <laughs> think about it well yeah. look at her eye shadow though I mean, that page in particular yeah, looks like she's got a black eye, except it's, it's purple. It's pretty. Uh... It's it's not as it's not as, as as heavily stated in the print version. The print version, it's it's uh, almost like an indigo, not indigo, but very gray, gray purple, but very light. It is not so heavy handed as it is there. That right there is what Charlie Sheen would say makes her look like a whore, right? In Ferris Bueller, right. <laughs> Well, it kind of matches. It's supposed to match her dress, and when she yeah, if she takes a dress off, but she keeps the shoes and a handbag. So either those were hers, or I guess she's got to walk around with. She can't walk around barefooted, but yeah, yeah, that's gonna be a a tough look to rock because uh, she wasn't wearing a a brassiere or a bra, and um, I hope she had something else on under there. Oh, I got a feeling she wasn't wearing any. I, I think underneath that coat, she's completely naked. <laughs> so, good thing that coat was uh, thigh length. That's right. Yeah, she kept the pearls, too. Well, well, I assume the, the pearls might have been hers. but Yeah. But, hey, you know what? Good for her for, like, um, standing by her, by her principles. Like, yeah. she's not gonna, yeah. she doesn't want to be bought. Uh, which is essentially what that feels like to her, I'm sure. Well, she said earlier that that I don't want to be one of his. He, I think she says he wants to own one of everything, and I don't want to be part of his collection. And I think yeah. that's what he's trying to do. That he's trying to, um, yeah. Which is interesting. They made that relationship so that that this it's almost more of a triangle. 
Except I think that's kind of later. That's dropped. That um, when well, um, this might have been, um, you know, because you mentioned earlier, Brian, that you know, you know the the model for Lex was his woman Lois, and this is probably Burn addressing that and disassociating it or right. or not yeah. shooting it down right. by saying, nope, that's not what she's going to be. She's not his toy or his his property. Uh, so. I can't see a smart woman like her accepting that dress and not figuring that there weren't strings attached. True. I I mean, even the the, the concept of, oh, I thought it was just a loner. It's like, come on, Lois. (laughs) Or was it just an excuse to get on his yacht and see what story you could dig up? I mean, it just doesn't ring true. That's a conflict that Perry White, she makes reference to. Perry White wouldn't be caught dead on this yacht. But by inference, she says, well, but I could. It's yeah, like, I don't buy story. that. Yeah. For the purposes well, of yeah, the story, It's yes, interesting. But... Well, look at look at page 11 and the top uh, left-hand corner panel. Now, in the issue two, when Superman was at her apartment, he's getting, you know, getting ready to leave. She's like, get back here. And you see her legs are all a jumble. She's just like in as unflattering a position as she possibly could be here she is you know hands balled legs straight together she's you can tell that she's kind of leaning forward just by her posture in the coat that you know again she is angry and everything but you don't see any part of her that looks like it's um uncomfortable or or or, uh, i don't know how to describe it this right here is like almost like a metered response rather than you know the outburst that she made to clark uh, yeah, Superman. she's not she's not frustrated. I think the way she was when she met um, Superman, I think she's just angry because she's yeah. insulting. That's what she calls him, Fred Mertz, and <laughs> you know, they're going to get off. And then you run into the the um, these uh, typical eighty eighties uh, uh, Venezuelan. Is that what they're from? Yep, Venezuelan. Yeah, Venezuelan uh, hij- I don't know if they're hijackers. I don't know what they're they're here for. Um, they were they were basically. Luther had oil fields in Venezuela. Yeah, he mentioned that earlier. And so these guys came from there for one thing or another. And um, but I mean, they don't say specifically what. No. It's, it's never brought up. And I don't know that they ever followed up on them ever again. If, if there was any not. other, they're they're the hero. I will give yeah. this to Burn. He did this in the one of the previous issues that he's got a woman here. You know, the gangs. It's not just men. It's got a kind of a Vasquez type woman. Yeah. Um, that's uh, maybe that's so that you've got a woman kind of threatening a woman instead of a man. Right. Uh, right. That may be that reason for that, you know, uh, after Clark got calls Clark El Stupido and throws him overboard. <laughs> okay. Now I, I, I just caught something that I hadn't noticed until just now. And I'm like, Oh man. So here's Lois and she's storming away. And all of a sudden a hand comes up with a machine gun in her face. Now that hand is somebody's left hand. No glove, and it's got like I guess a watch on it. But the next panel shows a guy with his right hand up. I mean, both. I guess yeah. it would have to be the guy on the very far left because the way his gun is positioned, maybe it, it's coming from his left hand. Maybe he's the one that whose that arm is, but it's not any of the ones that are obvious to us, the the man or the woman, because they're both wearing gloves. I think that's just a mistake because I think it's obvious it's supposed to be this leader, the guy in the shades and the. In the 
That's that, that's what I would have thought. Yeah, because it's a gun that's looks the same. It's, the gun looks exactly yeah. the same. I think this bird just screwed up. Um, because she talks about how, again, Lang hints that she may be catching on. Talks about how fast Clark got in front of her. You know, she says, I've never seen anybody move that fast. So yeah, I'm surprised she didn't say, How does something <laughs> so big move so fast? <laughs> At the top of the 13th page, that guy who's the leader also starts to explain their plan. He says, At the first sign of police, we start wasting you hostages. And then he says in the next panel, Okay, Americans, we're going to hold you here until your government. So it's obviously a hostage situation, but. Right. It's not clear what they want from the government. Well, it's I think it's during the 80s when everything was getting hijacked. And, um, uh, you know, they're, either they want demands for something, whatever he's doing in Venezuela. I don't think it's more of a, you know, you're destroying the environment down there. We're going to make you stop. You know, um, I don't know. It's, I think it's just these are really bargain bin generic terrorists that are there to serve yeah. a purpose so that burn you know and my bigger question is okay you know this is basically uh, luther lets all this happen because he uh, even though he says you know my guys were standing by you know they could have stepped in if something if superman didn't show up for some reason but he wanted to just you know check out superman and then he wants to basically try to hire him you know he's like okay here you go i'm you know i'm gonna you okay. pass the audition, right? Exactly. Yeah. Here, here's your here's your retainer. What exactly if Superman had accepted his offer? What kind of work would he would he be a muscle for Luther? Would he be uh, under his thumb? Yeah, I know. But what you know, L- Luther is obviously he's doing some shady stuff, but he's he does it all, uh, and by him being the businessman, he's able to cover it up. You know, he can never have any. It's like a these mafia guys that, you know, he's insulated. Exactly. Nothing ever touches him because he's planning ahead. He, he plans for getting caught. Um, so I, again, it may, I don't know if it was just, you know, here's something that I can't have and I want it, but, and I want it because yeah. I can't have it. And I think that maybe that's his starts his, uh, uh, his obsession with, cause you can see it in his face when the mayor, and he basically tells him, hey, you know, uh, 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 you know, everybody in Metropolis works for me. You know, they're mm-hmm. I control this town. You know, I it's my you know, I kind of shape the way things are going and I, I'm in charge of everything. And, and the mayor says, you know, you know, you put these people in danger because you knew this could happen. He goes, yeah, but my guys were going to we're going to come in. Yeah. And then he tells Superman, oh, you're, he deputizes him and tells him to. Arrest him, and you can see that that last panel where Luther's face just drops. He's like, "Uh oh, this did not turn out the way I I had planned it to." Like, you can't do that to me. I'm the most powerful yeah. man in Metropolis. It's exactly no, what you're he's not, thinking. Lex. Yeah, not and he, anymore. And you see that same picture that when he's getting his mugshot, and he's getting fingerprinted, and he's getting thrown in jail. He's got that same deterrent, that scowl, a scowl, yep, yep. like, "Yep." And then he, you know, then he basically, which is kind of, but I guess it's going to be arrogant enough that at the end he kind of. He, he kind of reveals his hands like, all right, you're, you know, I'm going to reveal to the world what you really are. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, before we continue on, though, let's take a look back at a couple little things. The the scene where Clark gets pistol whipped by the gun and they throw him over the side, the expression, the response 
by Lois in that panel where she's looking down where he's been thrown off. For some reason, that, that reminds me of the X-Men. And, I, you know, you see how her, her voice kind of trails down lower when she says, oh, my God. Yeah. And then the um, there was something else in here that um, really caught my attention. And, yeah, I mean, basically, when you go to the next page, and this is the page where uh, Superman lifts the, the boat out of the, the ship out of the water. Um, the coloring is really, really weird. And it makes like the water look like blue goop from Dr. Seuss. Uh, did you notice that, Tim? It's yeah, it's a dark blue. It's kind of a and, and blue and the water's kind of like it's either very dark blue or it's it's green. And, and again, it, it makes me think of that Dr. Seuss book where they got all the blue goop. Oh, I, I guess I I'm not remember. familiar with that Dr. Seuss book. But, but the the original copy though, the boat is a nice gunmetal gray, um, and the water looks like it's just trailing off of it. It doesn't have that weird gooey look to it. Well, I think it, um, yeah, it's. Um, and of course, Lois says, "You think you think uh, bad guys would start wearing cups because the this terrorist <laughs> is taken out by the same way uh, any woman is going to take out a man by you know good shot to the midsection." Uh, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck, yeah, I love that. Chuck. almost sounds like he's wearing a cup, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but and then she just starts blasting, and I I, I would think that well, there's must be I don't know, there's at least one, two. One, two, three, three or four of these guys well, that somebody would shoot her. Which... The, if you look back on the page where they first show up, page 11, and you can see the four of them there. If you look behind them over their shoulders, you can see all these hands up in the air. Yeah. So there's got to be other guys out there with guns on the other party guests. Right. There's four of them, at least four theirs. But I guess, you know, she, I guess they run once she starts blasting. I mean, she just, just lets out with that. That machine gun, which is probably a, I'm surprised he didn't draw it as a as a Uzi because that's what it would have been back then. The Uzi nine millimeter, um, <laughs> you know. And again, that shows her as being a strong, assertive, I can take care of myself, um, kind of woman. You know, he gets it. Well, he shows up and goes, "Oh, looks like she's already got things uh, taken care of." Her, her father is General San Wayne. You know, he's going to teach her a thing or two about guns. Well, I think, I think he mentions that that being kind of an army brat or whatever she was, that she probably had some experience with uh, with weapons. Uh, and then, you know, she he basically flies in front of her and takes the brunt of the last guy. And then that's the guy who's, he crumbles. You know, he's being a little uh, overdramatic about <laughs> showing this guy what he can do to his gun. Oh, that that's a great scene. And, and that, that page before when Superman comes flying in, the, the middle panel on the page, if you look carefully, you'll see all the bullet holes on the hull. And there's yeah. no way that Lois's one gun could do all that damage unless she had like five clips. Well, I mean, that looks looks like somebody fired up a minigun or something. That's, that's the 80s unlimited ammo uh, yeah. gun, you know. <laughs> So as we're wrapping this up, so we can move on to book five. Yeah, um, I know, we, I know. We, the... we get the message at the yeah. We keep going forward, and now you take us eight pages back. So. <laughs> well, I did, there's things I wanted to talk about, yeah. like Superman yeah. crushing the gun. I thought that was one of the funniest things I'd read. <laughs> it at was the time. a great one. And my, my... panels used to do it too. It was good. 
But no, you're right. We should go ahead and move on. And of course, Luther makes his threat to Superman that, uh, and then there's a baby named after Superman too, but just got his middle name is Superman. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, so this sets up the the conflict. It wasn't um, Superman in the adventures uh, when he was a boy. Uh, causing his hair to fall out so right <laughs> well and that, that when he's going through the subway you see somebody's reading a paper and it says luther probe continues so i guess that you know it's showing that they are looking into uh luther's background you know that he but i'm sure he's gonna spin it and he knows that you know he's gonna keep spinning it and that's it's kind of revealed even more in the issue we're fixing to cover about um the way he he operates Yeah. yeah, I had never noticed that before. The Luther probe continues. Yeah, I'd forgotten that these thing. issues kind of take little. There, I forget that they're the whole thing spans several years, so that it's it's you're, you're taking what you know peaks. You know, it's not one issue follows another one. You're like a, a big jump. This is eighteen months from the previous issue. Yeah, and I think the next one is about three years or two or three years past. So you're kind of, you know, we're getting Superman up to speed without showing everything that happened to him as he's going. So they wanted to get him up and running so he can be well-established. Okay, on page 21, the panel where Superman's walking out of the hospital, not the first panel, but the third panel, do you see that atomics notification danger radioactive material? Is that guy going to blind Matt Murdock? Oh, interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I never <laughs> caught that before either. Anyway, well on um, his way to uh, yeah, yeah. All right, let's, wanna, uh, let's go to the next book. And Tim, you wanted to cover this one, right? I wanted to cover this one uh, because you uh, have a particular fancy for Bizarro. I don't. Well, I just I just thought this issue was kind of funny. Oh, okay. Um, and I and uh, it's interesting. I don't I don't I don't really know a lot about Bizarro, honestly. Um, but this was another. This was another. Uh, I think this story is a little it sets some things up and introduces a, a character well I'll get into it when we talk about it but um, let me get my let me get my notes I see Kirk is on the phone so he's he must have business stuff going on or work stuff uh, okay this is uh, as we said this is, this is issue 5 of the 6 issue series uh, and our cover date is 1986. Uh, I got a sale date of September 11th, 1986. Yeah, it was December. Was it was the cover date December or was it sale date? December is the cover date, but the on sale date was September. September, right. Yeah. Uh, and our writer is John Byrne. Our artist is John Byrne. Our anchor is Dick Giordano. Our colorist is Tom Zucco. Letterer is John Costanza. Our cover artist is John Byrne. Editor is Andy Helfer, and they said the main editor. They don't call it editor in chief at DC, I think, but Jick Diorgiano was, I guess, the editor in chief. Mm -hmm. um, and Andrew Helfer was the editor, right? The main, the main editor, right? The book editor. Right? Uh, and yeah. this one, I don't. And I love I, the cover. Yeah, the cover is sure. good. It, the yeah. some of the coloring on it's a little bizarre, but uh, this no, is my no pun intended favorite cover out of all of them. Uh, this one had forty-four pages. And I think because it had like a four-page additional story that wasn't that I don't think Byrne had anything to do with, and I don't, it's not in my digital, so I don't really have any information on it. But I know there was an extra story in the back of this. 
Well, I'm, I'm taking a look now because I didn't I didn't recall that. It's part I, of my uh, trade. Yeah, if you go to uh, is it in your trade? No. Oh. Well, I think it's because it's got nothing to do with burn or anything to do with Superman. But if you look at Mike's Amazing World, it lists uh, another story. Um, no, there is no other story in there. I'm looking at it right now. There is no well, other Mike's, story, unless Mike's you call the laser tag Mike. ad. <laughs> well, Mike, this Mike's Amazing Road had it wrong because it lists two stories. I'll um, take a look at that while odd. you're reading the yeah, synopsis. Uh, our other notable works, uh, as we said, they are, he was doing these two a month. So this came out at the same time as Man of Steel 6. Uh, Legends number two came out. He was an uh, artist. Uh, Marvel Fanfare 29, we've already covered that. Writer, artist. And Marvel Tales 194, which is a reprint of Marvel Team-Up. I believe it's the Spider-Man and Wasp story when they were fighting Equinox. This is reprinted in Man of Steel trade paperback uh, from 1988. Uh, is that what you're reading from, John? Or the one that uh, Dave sent you, the big... Um, no, I have the uh, 1988 okay. trade. Uh, and this was also printed in Secret Origins of the World's Greatest Superheroes from 1990. That must be where that story came from. This, the story you're talking about is called Secret of the Temple. Yeah. And um, it's weird. When I went away and went back to Man of Steel issue 5, it only, in, in, in Mike's Amazing World, it only shows the mirror cracked as the uh, the story is when I went first went to it. That's so weird. Yeah. Step away and go back. I, I, it, it did seem like it had anything to do with what we're covering or burn, so I kind of ignored it. I just wanted to. That's why it seems yeah, like I, it's a higher. I think that's game. a mistake. Okay. You know, I mean, Mike Boyles has been incredibly good about not making any mistakes. This is the first thing I've saw, seen that seems inaccurate. All right. Well, other than something that's just left out altogether. So right, well, that, we, yeah. we, will, we will ignore it. All right, this, uh, as we said, this is issue number five, and the title of it is called The Mirror Cracked. And the synopsis goes a little something like this. And bear with me. Superman catch Batman in green super suit. He take Batman to Kong Hong, give Lex Luthor. Suit stolen. No blame, Luthor. Batman brain scramble. Superman fly away home. Lex smart. Dr. Tang smarter. Him machine looks Superman inside. Dr. Tang make me Superman. Doctor not smart. Me broken. Luther mad. Me escape. Do good things. Me hero. Me Superman. Me meet blind girl. She sad. Me help. Non broken Superman see me. He hate me. Me like him. We fight. Me see pretty girl. Me like. Me take away. Superman think him smart, he look me skin. He think I robot, but me hero, me Superman. He find me with pretty girl and blind girl. We fight, me win. We smash, boom, me make no more, dust. Pretty girl, blind girl safe, blind girl see, me hero, me Superman. That's it. Actually, I'll read an actual synopsis you want me to, but I, I, I couldn't resist. That was brilliant. I Did you write that? I wrote that. No, I couldn't resist. That. That's great. I couldn't resist writing that as Bizarro. Uh, but, the, you know, not, you know, all fun aside, it, basically this is introduced, all these never called Bizarro, the intro introduces 
uh, Varzaro Superman. That uh, I think this is about three years after the last issue because Luther says he spent two years trying to perfect uh, his machine that he's had in Hong Kong with a, he he uh, he smuggles a guy out of mainland China, Doctor Tang, and he creates like a uh, some kind of a matrix that he can create. He can duplicate life forms and I guess Luther has been scanning Superman and it, it opens with Superman shows up with the the green and purple Lex suit from like a, the battle suit the battle suit George from Curtis came up with uh, yeah from uh, pre-crisis you know that's and that was the he was always in that outfit in like the uh, the, the little figure the superpowers figures or whatever they were called anyway he's He's basically saying, Luther, you're getting sloppy. You know, this has got, this is all Lex tech. This guy used to work for, you know, used to work for you. You know, you're getting really sloppy. And Luther's like, nah, if you'll notice, all this stuff is stolen. This guy was fired. You can't touch me. So, and this, and it, it's, the suit also happened to have scrambled the guy's brain so that he's, uh, he's brain dead or he's a vegetable. So Superman flies back to Metropolis and that's when Doc, um, Luther is telling Dr. Tang, you know, is it ready? Because I guess he was scanning Luther or Superman when he came into his office. So he, he wants to duplicate Superman. He wants to create a Superman that will work for him. And this is where we realize that, well, he's not human. And I, didn't, I, I guess I had forgotten this, that up to this point, they thought he was like a metahuman or a mutant or something. They didn't think he was an alien. And because of his alien DNA, the process doesn't go right and they produce a Superman, but then he falls, kind of falls dead and he uh, starts to crystallize. And then that's when Luther gets gets upset and tells him, you know, destroy it, get out of here, I don't want to see you again, and he goes back to to uh, the Metropolis and we're introduced to Lois Lane's da- uh, not daughter, sister, younger sister, who is blind. And I guess there was a lot of hijacking going on in Metropolis because she was a, a stewardess and she had uh, hijacked through something in her face that blinded her. And she's feeling, uh, you know, she's, you know, feeling down. She thinks her career's over and she's contemplating suicide. It's, it actually doesn't. She actually commits suicide. She jumps off the building and she's saved by Superman or what we think is Superman, but it turns out it's this, uh, it's Bizarro, although he's not called Bizarro. And she can't tell. She He well, flies away. I like how Luther did say, get this bizarre. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to see, you know. Yeah, he so almost says it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then, and then they, they hate, they, it's just a scene of them in the newsroom. And uh, Jimmy Olsen says, hey, somebody broke into a, a, a clothing store and stole some suits. And then there's some commotion going on downstairs and, Clark looks through the floors and sees a guy wearing uh, looks like a cape, but also a suit. So he goes to investigate, and that's when he, he first we get a first good shot of Bizarro when he's kind of he's chalky white, his hair is kind of spiky, his uh, he's got kind of a gaunt Frankenstein kind of face, and he's trying to look like Clark Kent. He's got he's hmm. taken some sunglasses, poked the, the lenses out, he's wearing them. Uh, he doesn't speak. He just kind of makes a sound. You know, he doesn't talk. And he immediately, they immediately get into a fight. 
and they start punching each other. And it's a lot of punchy, punchy, run, run. Um, and he realizes that he uses his heat vision on him and he realizes that he's got the same powers that he has. Uh, and he's worried, which I thought was funny. He was worried that somebody might see this guy in a Superman outfit, uh, but also wearing a suit. And then if I put those two together and he, so he burns the suit off the guy. And I think that's what, I think that's what's supposed to have discolored it. So he looks different. He's got kind of, it's kind of a darker blue, a darker red, uh, than Superman. So they kind of stand out when you see him fighting each other. Uh, and then he sees Lois Lane. And of course he's got, somehow he has Superman's memories. I don't know how they did that, but he has his feelings for Lois Lane. So he grabs her and flies away with him. And actually kisses her, which <laughs> I would think to Lois be like, oh, if this, you know, if she puts two together, this is like, well, this is a, some kind of bizarro clone Superman. If he loves me, maybe that means Superman loves me. But he flies her to her apartment, I think. Yeah, her apartment where uh, um, Susie's at. Susie, Lu- Lucy's at. I keep on to call her Lana. Lucy's at. I know everyone lives, Lois. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's true. He's got Superman's memory, uh, and then she realizes this is the same guy. And and somehow her sight. And they also established that this guy is kind of flaking, like he's kind of giving off some kind of a powder. Dude's flaky, man. Dangerous. And she is kind of <laughs> exactly. She's she her some of her sights come back a little bit. She can kind of see shapes and stuff. And then the real Superman shows up, and then of course. They uh, they just get into more fisticuffs and which I thought was odd here that Superman doesn't he analyzes the powder and he realizes that it, it's uh, it's inorganic organic. it's it's yeah. right it's it's a it's like it's not organic it's like I'm, you know because in the he's like a robot he calls him a close you know just ahead of a robot like an android kind of like a data so he feels he doesn't have to pull his punches. To the point where I'm reading is like, well, it's okay if I kill this guy because he's not really alive. Um, and they fly at each other at full speed, and the other one just vaporizes, just powder stuff flakes down on uh, everybody, and then suddenly Lucy can sing, and they think wolves that were thrown in her eyes. And Superman speculates that maybe he knew, you know, give give the guy a little bit of pathos, you know, maybe he knew. That he could save her. So that's why he flew in Superman. He basically kind of killed himself in order to save the girl. Or restore her sight. So this is a quick read. This is a, it's a, it's kind of a, maybe Brian, you've done research on this to know why did Byrne decide to, because Espizarro is never brought back, is he? He's, uh, Bizarro is not brought like this, back, right? but it's not, obviously right. not this one. It, 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 it seems to get more like the one that they did on Superman, the animated series. But I think that was, I don't know, they, they, they hang into that like that. I, I did find out something. Um, the the mask story that you guys were talking about um, from Mike's Amazing World actually was an insert on some of them. Uh, direct marketing, you know, the direct, um, oh, okay. direct sales. Uh, I, I have two copies here of Man of Steel number five, and one of them was heavier than the other. And I'm like, wait, what's going on here? So I, I checked inside, and it is a glossy inset um, multi-page ad for Mask 
uh, toys and uh, products like underoos and whatnot. And they even had like a big wheel and racetracks and all that. But it's all basically a G.I. Joe kind of ripoff. Oh, OK. Oh, um, Mas- and- yeah, mascot. He's like, OK, now, now click this what you're talking about. Right, right. And uh, so that's that's what that was, and yeah, it it add, definitely adds to the book. I it just wasn't in the the initial one that I had, but where it was, yeah, that's what it was. So my apologies, yeah. Mike. You, Mike Boyles, you had this correct. I was wrong, and what I what did no you guys think of this whatsoever. story? It seems now, a little. It's it's almost like the magpie story. It seems kind of inconsequential, other than it because it's not really revealing anything more about Superman. And I don't, again, I don't know why he decided to bring in, use a whole issue to bring in the, to create a post-crisis bizarro that he. Well, I think the thing is, is that, you know, we, we don't know how Lex Luthor would respond to, you know, what, what happened there and say, well, you know, maybe, you know, this one, of course, you know, got blown up, but right. maybe I can right. tweak it and, you know, have another one of these come out and maybe you know use that against superman so i i think it it opens um my favorite issues are two four and five of the man of steel series and you know i mean this is just one of those it gives us so much backstory and and minutiae you know that that's like you know really cool you get to see luther acting as luther should throughout the series you know as the businessman who can't be touched even though it's definitely got his all over everything the 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 power armor which i thought was a a nice touch using that in there um i did like that and of course it also i mean yeah. it introduces dr tang it it you know of course bizarro but it also introduces us to lucy lane as lois's little sister and we again see her later we saw her of course in the blood sport issue we just covered uh, a few months back so, you know, I mean, it, it, it's just, you know, establishing that continuity within the book. One of the things that, that yeah. we ran into with the reboot of Superman was the fact that in the, the silver and bronze age uh, of Superman, you know, he had this in- gigantic universe that, that Superman was a part of. And he was known everywhere by everyone. And now we've got this incredibly small universe and we're slowly starting to get introduced to all the characters. And this is a good way of bringing in Lucy. It's just using her as a subplot. I did note, though, that Lucy's hair in the original books is brown, but they make her a blonde in the uh, in the reprints. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought he kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, this issue is a lot of fun. It, it is, I will give it that. It's a lot of fun to see Superman and you know he does a good job of typical Bernard Thatcher of kind of hinting at because you never see uh yeah who this person is you see the back you know and you think it's Superman and I think in some cases they've kind of miscolored it because at some point he should be oh yeah yeah now that's chalky white but let me um let me look here and see uh, how yeah he got flesh flesh. yeah also but there's a little bit of white Showing on the neck, on the on the well, in in on page nine, the There's far no right, panel, the top, right. Uh, in the reprint, it is definitely flesh toned, but uh, in the original book, you can actually see white there where the the little uh, tone line comes down to, on the neck there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's white there, but his hands are are flesh, and then 
his neck is flesh in the panel on the no, far right. No, what I'm saying is in the in the original book, in the, that the part there. Window. If you look at the neck, you can see a little line coming down the neck on the right side of it, and anything to the right of that is white. So it's like yeah. it's, it's flaking off. You know, it's part of the. Oh, it's all of white. However, it's it was all crystallized. White yeah. Head. yeah. Yeah, and that that and that's fine because he's he's fully he's fully. Uh, white by the time he you know he he's into the when he's into the uh, uh daily bugle and you see him and he's turned around you know he's kind of but i i had i had more problems with the way he writes lucy because she, you know and maybe i don't know maybe i'm wrong here but he he writes her as being she's a flight attendant and she thinks i can't do anything else that's all i've ever trained for is to be a flight attendant nobody wants a blind and she's feeling sorry for herself to the point where she does, she jumps off the building. She commits suicide uh, because she thinks she's got nothing else to do. And that that doesn't seem to jive with, unless you're trying to do a big contrast between her and Lois. Because Lois is just strong, independent. If, if, if Lois was blind, I don't think she would be like, oh, I can't be a reporter anymore. She would just muscle through it and find some way to make it work. And Lucy doesn't, maybe Lucy's not as strong. You know, maybe she's living in the shadow of her big sister. But that seemed a little off oh. for me, the way, I mean, maybe that's just the way typical burn. I mean, it has to happen to get her to where, she, it has to happen for her to jump off. I mean, to get and, you know, there are a couple things place for to consider there. Form. Number one, she's several years younger than Lois. I mean, she's a contemporary of Jimmy Olsen. So you're talking to somebody that is, uh, she's probably in her yeah. early twenties or like maybe 19. If she's a stewardess, you know, then, you know, she's at least gone through the stewardess school. So she's probably 19 or 20 or somewhere in that area where the hormones are still raging. And, and, you know, there's a lot, a lot going on there. The other thing is that, you know, she came from the same family as Lois, where you've got general Sam Lane, where if you are not useful, you're useless. And, uh, you know, with, the emotions and everything that go about this, you know, I, I, I was temporarily blinded when I was in my teens. Mm -hmm. um, it, it only lasted for about four days. And, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to get my sight back. But I, I can tell you that the emotions that you go through uh, in an experience like that is insane. Because uh, you just go through, what if I never get my sight back? And you start thinking about all that. Now, I never once considered, you know, ending my life or anything. Uh, but I mean, the thing is, you go through a lot of depression and all, all that. Is you can't, you know, as it, it, it takes a while for you to get a, a handle on things. Just walking around, and I, you know, it can really have have an effect. And I was surprised by this, especially the the image on her face at the end when she gets her sight back, because I know that when I, when my sight did return, that my emotional reaction was, was very loud, very excited, very, you know, just crazy. Cause it, it was, it was, it was gone. And then it was there. It wasn't a, a gradual thing. It just came back quickly. And I was, I was shocked. So I find a lot of it. I, I can't say necessarily yeah. realistic, but I, I can relate to a lot of it. And there's a little bit of Brian you guys didn't know. <laughs> the, the only other problem I had too, and again, it's just, it's a difference between writing now and, and 
writing back then is when he finds out that it's an artificial construct that he doesn't feel like I have to pull my punches. You know, this I can um, he basically says I can kind of destroy it. And I would think, well, this it's obviously it's it's alive. It is maybe alive in the way you think it More is. like a replicant, I thought. It's like it's, he's kind of like a data, you know, he's he's. Or exactly. Well, yeah, he's kind of that. He's that that vague, organic. I mean, you know, it's kind of like Doctor Tang was using an imperfect they, they, they transporter, films. and Thomas Reichardum, you know, made a copy of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but in, in instead, you know, it, it, it's like uh, Superman three, yeah. you know, point seven percent unknown material. You know, that secret sauce kind of <laughs> explanation. There, you don't know what's in it, so therefore. What they got back was imperfect, and I, I find another parallel in there when when well, Superman the, uses his heat vision on him and darkens the costume. It reminds me of, um, you know, the, the evil Superman from Superman Three. Right. Yeah. The uh, uh, yeah, the talking about uh, five o'clock shadows. Go see on him in this mirror universe. Uh, well, and it, it, and I couldn't tell if. <laughs> uh, if and I thought I'd forgotten this that up until this point everybody thought he was some kind of metahuman and then they're like wait a minute he's a he's an alien because uh, it seems like he's creating him from the scan he was just in his office he scans him and he immediately creates him then and not like he's been working on him so replicator like your point maybe Brian is some kind of a transporter or it's like. Um, Right, or even like you know, if you've seen the oh, yes. say where they have these blanks, and they kind of just imprint the genotype, and they become so you get this kind of blank uh, form. It's almost like a three D uh, printer, you, but that would explain why he's got the suit on too. You but, just got to put the right uh, material in it. That's all. Yeah, it's it's it may be printing because it. Yeah, yeah, and this is all I because I, I watched it before we uh, we got on. Have you seen the? The deleted scene in Superman Four, yeah, where he fights a bizarre that's amazingly like this. And they yeah, had to oh, be, that was they, horrible. Has to be the inspiration they took from this because it was a year later. Um, it's terrible because he's played absolutely for laughs. He's played like this big goof, um, but he has the same kind of spiky hair and kind of a pale complexion. And the same thing happens. He kind of gets thrown into I think a power yeah. line or something. And I want to make a comment about. Clark Kent, uh, his style in the so, newsroom. I mean, it looks like it was taken right out of the Sanger Harris catalog. It's a good, it's a good look, and all, and all that. And Lois's outfit too is definitely something that's well, right sure out of a, a modeling modeling catalog. And it's it. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm. You know, he lived, he grew up in Smallville. He probably chopped at Sears or J.C. Penney's. Definitely. Definitely. And I can't you know. tell you how many times I walked into my job, yeah. wherever it was, and said, "Greetings, wage slaves. What's news?" Which is how Lois comes into the city room. <laughs> you know, and he makes a comment that she says it every every uh, every single day. Is the when she comes in, there's a woman behind Clark. It's got kind of glasses, curly blonde hair, and a pink shirt. Is she making a muscle? Is she doing like a Rosie Riveter kind of a pose, or what is she doing? I don't know. 
I know. And is she doing something to that guy that's under her arm, right or is he Clark. just burning up behind? It? I think he's just he's just further back, but it looks like she's trying to either make a muscle, or she's doing that. We can do Lois, it. Lois, kind of a little act of solidarity. That's a, a, a reaction to. <laughs> I know Slade. Lois's comments. Yeah, maybe I don't know. But uh, that's that's a, a nice that that and the page after that at the planet where where they're just talking is a, a nice little slice of life kind of imagery of people. Look at the size of the bow tie that Jimmy Olsen's wearing. Oh, that's yeah. Well, so he wants to be um, Henry Peter Guyrich. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what is it with the checkered pants? Did people yeah. actually wear checkered pants? They did in the seventies. In the seventies, they did. Yeah, yeah. I had plaid uh, pants. Don't be hating, Brian. Pants. Don't be hating. I'm not hating. I'm shivering. I'm I'm that's about right. to puke. But you know, styles <laughs> change. And they they've got a coloring mistake. On Clark <laughs> is looking uh, through the floor. To see Bizarro, they've yeah, got the original, his jacket. Uh, the jacket green, was that kind of olive drab, and the pants were more of a khaki. Yeah, they've just they just I think they just made them all yellow because later his his pants are kind of a a light olive, and then his yeah no the, the colorist green. for the the, the reprints just uh, did not do any favors to it really. No, it's not. But we get a nice uh, That's a good fight kind of a drag yeah. out fight here. And Serpan comments that it is. It's yeah, I said this this it's a lot of fun. It almost been I wish it keep the Lucy part out of it, just kind of uh, have them more uh, pounding on each other, but he talks about that he's up till now yeah. he's hasn't fought anybody that his his power level. And he's had to, he's gotten used to hold, uh, pulling his blows and now he's uh, with the hate vision and everything else, he's he's worried this guy could actually kill him. So now he's uh, he's kind of you know yeah. letting go with full force. Uh, that scene where he gets slammed into the bus, and then you see Bizarro um, stepping on the car, and I just love that little runk where it, it's stepping on the car. At first, I, I mean, in the printed copy, I can't see yep. that he's wearing glasses in that image, but I can see it in not the um, not the one you're looking at. It looks like, it barely looks like he's wearing glasses in the one that you're looking at, Tim, but the other one I've got is, yeah, it barely tells there. I think he is. Well, they show it yeah, in, in later is, images. Back down at the bottom of that page, uh, bottom right, is he standing there waiting for Superman to come at him? You can tell he's wearing glasses. It's just that that image there. It's just the way it's drawn and perspective and everything. In the original paper copy, it is the glasses are pretty much invisible. Right, they're just. I think that's uh, yeah. my scan copy. I think it's just because the definition. Now, when Superman's is, getting out of that bus, well, does that make you think of uh, Superman Two in the Marlboro truck? <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, when, uh, we're pulling out. 
Well, like the guy on the bus calls him Superman. <laughs> S O O. What happened? What happened? Superman. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That should have Bebo? been. Uh, yeah. Uh, who's the Bebo or Bibo? I, I can hear Brad Garrett name? saying that Bibo? right now. <laughs> that could have been Bibo. Um, but Bibo can't be everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't uh, think Bird, Bird ever even introduce him. Marv Wolfman did introduce him in Adventures of Superman before Burn took over. Marv, Marv did like ten issues. Bibbo the monkey. Yeah. No, Bibbo the the guy. No, the the, like the long short guy. The he, he was Superman's pal. The long the like the the Dockman or whatever he was. He he. He had a bar later, I think. He he ran a bar. Um, I don't remember ever even know anything about him until the death of Superman. Of course, they used him a lot in Superman the Animated Series. And Brad Garrett did the voice of him. And, I mean, that's the one thing I actually like Brad Garrett in. That's the only thing I like Brad Garrett in. Oh, that explains it. Because that's just, like, typecasting as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Oh, man. So, okay, here's the other thing. Uh, you know, Bizarro hit Superman with a big blast of heat vision for a good bit. And Superman, you know, uses, swipes a car away basically into Bizarro. But Superman's costume is fine. But when Superman blasts Bizarro with his heat vision, Bizarro goes like dark Superman. <laughs> yeah, it's so, changed. Well, that's true, and if right, and it 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 does show at least his his cape is a little singed, and his, his cape is a little shorter. Yeah. Too. Uh, yeah, I think that's just a way of distinguishing the two. Yeah, so because you've got one, it, it makes him look a little more. Yeah, know, that it, would you know that, it would yeah. have been too much if suddenly the S was backwards or something, you know. <laughs> but the fight yeah. imagery though is awesome, and then of course Bizarro's stance when Lois shows up. When when he is shocked to see her, and then he grabs, but just this the standing there that again it's a clumsy pose of someone that's just not yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he's taking yeah he's suddenly back. right yeah. he's seeing her and you know he says er, which is you know it's a lot when I I hear that I hear is if you've seen uh, Hot Fuzz <laughs> the guy in the supermarket that says Yarp. That's that's what I'm hearing. He flies off with her, and then he kisses her. Which has got to be it's got to be setting off alarms. Yeah, like this guy. I think she's more worried about bad breath and getting flaked Uh, on, and I I don't think she's thinking. Oh my god, she kisses that clerk. Or that she'd even know how. <laughs> I doubt he does, but um, uh, boy. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is a fun issue, but it just feels a little clumsy because he's trying to work this Lucy story in, and he's trying to do this kind of sad monster story, uh, kind of a Frankenstein story. Um, and to your point, Brian, if, if Luther had brought more of these guys back, if he was trying to continually 
improve it, but it, it seems you know, I don't even know if this Dr. Out. Tang comes back. I don't you guys talk. Know if he does, does he? <laughs> I'll find out. Um, the the line by Superman at the end, you know, I think he did. I, you know, that that right there was that right there was a ham-fisted line. I thought because you know how would Superman even possibly get the idea that the thing had any clue about Lucy's blindness and that that would cure her or do something for her? Well. If you, if you look on page that's, 22, yeah, that's a, that's that top left well, it, corner, a, it looks like Bizarro is pointing. Uh, yeah. be pointing towards the apartment that Lucy was in. So maybe... He's trying and and he's even said, Superman even says, he's moving away towards Lois' apartment. What's he up to? So maybe that's what he... What yeah, I never noticed just that, he was, that he was aiming or pointing at the apartment. But who is he pointing to it for? Lucy. The creature has figured out that he can cure her blindness. Hmm. Right. But how he seems he seems so unaware. Maybe it's it's he uh, and I if they could have fixed it easily if when when (coughs) Superman is examining the uh, the dust and he with his microvision. If he says this has some unusual, it seems to have some unusual regenerative properties or something like that to get you the idea that um, that it would. Because I mean, if this stuff flakes down in everybody, does that mean people are going to be like, you know, it's going to cure their baldness? It's going to cure everybody's eyesight? I mean, what 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 wider effects this thing had? To and that would have been a great follow-up story. Big area down below. So. Kind of yeah, like the uh, had, scroll develop, develop super yeah. because yeah. of Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you, you look at that and you, you sit there and you think exactly. about um, exactly. what, what that stuff actually is. And, of course, it's like Superman's own cells, which are, you know, like miniature nuclear reactors, absorbing sunlight and converting it to the energy that he needs to be Superman or that he needs to live. And, you know, of course, we know that uh, – Superman probably ages a lot slower than everybody. His body replenishes quicker and better. So that's probably what all this is doing. And that's, you know, a, a form of that, an imperfect form of that. But it's uh, good enough that, you know, in the dose that, right. that Lucy got, it was right. able to cure her blindness. And who knows, maybe all of her acne left too. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to sit there and consider that. And I hadn't really given it any kind of thought up until just now about what that would actually mean what right well it's like in star trek when they have the spores that that heals you know your what your, year your was this published appendix grows back 86 things like that so. oh well before 9 uh, 11 yeah, yeah i was thinking of 86. the uh, the effects of the dust from 9 11 Ooh, yeah, yeah. no mm. yeah right it, it just has a little bit of a Star Trek ending, you know, that the typical Star Trek ending of, oh, we've got to s- solve this problem in five minutes because the show's about the end. Well, let's just <laughs> throw them in the transporter and, re- and, and reverse the polarity of the neutron flow or something. And that's going to fix it. So it, it seems that it seems to be I, w- I wish he had brought it up. Or he, yeah, or he had but it's definitely expanded a comic on this more comic book ending. doing the regular series. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't have a problem with it. It just felt a little clunky. Because um, I kind of wanted to have more... Uh, according to it, it says this is loosely based on Superboy 68, which was the what? pre-crisis Bizarro Superboy. Where does it say that? First publication. So I'm not familiar with that book. But, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, on the wiki, it says, it says the story... From this issue is loosely based on the origin of the pre-crisis Bizarro Superboy as first published in Superboy 68. Except he was you a uh, you see the Melissa. image Melissa. on page four, the upper left. I would, I, My computer dropped out. Maybe you've covered this. But Dr. Tang. Ten. T-E-N-G. Ten. Yeah, Dr. Tang. You see the image of him in the upper left corner of uh, four? I swear that's... Uh, that's Roger Stern. Yeah. Well, an Asian Roger Stern. But yeah, uh, I, can see I don't think that. he looks Asian. As I'm looking at this online, <laughs> his coloring and what have you, I don't think it looks Asian at all. I know he's supposed to be, but yeah. I, I think that's patterned after his good friend Roger Stern. Yes. Stern? Could be. The only thing kind of made, and this is absolutely stereotypical, but he's giving him some large teeth. Buck teeth? No. And I thought, is that kind of hinting at the, you know, uh, yeah, you know, the, 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 I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it could be. I mean, hmm. Bernie has done it before. Right. In there. And it looks like, in a, yep. we didn't talk about that. It looks yeah. like he's, or Luther is losing more of his hair. Because doesn't he eventually lose all his hair because he's obsessed with Superman? See, he should have he should have got yeah. some of the yep. bizarro dust. He could have grown his hair back. Except he rejected yeah, he the bizarro. He could have made more billions by uh, marketing that. Right. That's right. <laughs> so that's why he, he deserves to go bald. <laughs> Anything else on this? Uh, and this is a it's got yeah, it's not they definitely it's not use like a big, this story a, as kind of part of their Superman um, the animated series. They even had Doctor Tang in the animated series as the so Bizarro, and that right. is a is a construct. He's not a he's not from Bizarro World or wherever he's yep. really from. And they just refer to him as a malfunctioning specimen. Interesting. Right. Well, that. Ah, well, the Superboy that this is loosely based on is from '58, and it's Superboy '68. It's called the Boy of yeah, Steel versus the one. Thing of Steel. So it's uh, that'd be interesting to. Not we're going to cover that, but it'd be interesting. To Which see one? '68. You know, '68. Superboy '68. Number of us who are online. Superboy number '68. At the moment, from 1958. Are able to type that in? Yeah, well, I'm looking at it. it says uh, this is a quick synopsis. It says when a detect uh, defective duplicating ray created by Professor Dalton strikes Superboy, it creates a grotesque, stupid, and imperfect duplicate of the Boy of Steel, which nonetheless possesses all of his incredible powers. Moreover, it is not affected by green kryptonite. Superboy remarks that the creature is bizarre, to which the creature replies, "Him call me Bizarro." Is that my name? Bizarro is basically good-hearted, but cannot control his powers very well, and proves dangerous to Smallville. However, he is befriended by a blind girl named Melissa, who senses his benevolence, 
Uh, Superboy is unable to defeat Bizarro by conventional means, but finally senses that the the metal of the demolished duplicator ray itself can destroy him. Bizarro deliberately flies into the piece of metal Superboy holds, destroying himself, but creating a vibration that restores Melissa's sight. Superboy muses that Bizarro may may well have understood what effect this destruction would have on Melissa's eyesight, and as the Boy of Steel flies away, he hears Melissa say, I never saw Bizarro myself while blind, but I know from his gentle voice that he must have been a kind Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. This heavily from that. Yeah, very nice. It's very much much 1958, Silver Age, but... Yeah. 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 So maybe that's why this feels a little... Lifted the, the story. Yeah, he's. Uh, I didn't realize he had. Um, yep. He had. Uh, yep. Yeah, lifted it. Yeah, pretty pretty heavily. It's know, gone nice number six. But, all right, are we now that? Let's go on to number six. Let me pull uh, number six up because I'm doing the the synopsis for that one as well. Um, and this is going to close out our mini series proper. Let me write down a time code here. All right. And this was not going to be read in Bizarro speak. So no worries there. All right. Man of Steel, number six. Um, cover date, 1986. Sale date, September 25th, 1986. Uh, $0.75. Uh, as previously stated, our writer is John Byrne. Our artist is John Byrne. Our anchor is Jake Giordano. Our colorist is still Tom Zucco. Letterist is still John Costanza. Our cover art is John Byrne with Dick Giordano inks. Our editor is still Andy Helfer, and our editor-in-chief is still Dick Giordano. Uh, and we just covered this, but also uh, uh, came out the same month was Man of Steel 5. Uh, Vigilante number 35. Yeah. Is that right? Is that, wait, is, wait a second here. because I'm Legends number 2. You're looking at, at what, uh, December? Marvel. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, December that 86, that's, so that's correct. Legends, Marvel Tales, Man of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a basically the same thing who's that, I, who? that we read for that other one. I think I had that Vigilante in there wrong. Uh, and then, yeah, I didn't. That, that yeah, was the Starfire to Cyanide uh, issue of Who's Who uh, is the one that has Superman uh, in it, and it's got that huge uh, wraparound cover and one of the largest images of Superman that uh, um, uh, that, that that you'll see on the front cover of an issue. Fact is, is that you know after Byrne had done a bunch of issues and. There was a party, I think, at Dick Giordano's place, and Byrne was there in his studio, and he walks by, and they've got the, I guess, the cover plate to issue of Who's Who, and Giordano just says to him, "History and making, and it's all you." I always thought that was cool. Of course, he thought he was talking about Who's Who, and he was actually just talking about Superman. Yeah, this is, yeah, (laughs) Superman. Uh, this is reprinted in Man of Steel trade paperback, 1988. Uh, and I want to correct... Uh, last issue I said that that was... Uh, the Bizarro story was in Secret Origins of the World's Greatest Superheroes. That is wrong. It is in Superman Escape from Bizarro World, hardcover, 2008. Um, uh, 
and uh, our story, uh, Man of Steel issue number six, uh, the story is called The Haunting. Clark returns to Smallville after a long time away. His adopted parents pick him up. Jonathan Kent is about to tell him something, but Martha quickly shushes him. Later that night, Clark cannot sleep as he wonders what his father was t about to tell him. He goes downstairs for a, uh, another piece of his mom's rhubarb pie when a ghost of Jor-El surprises him and touches him. Superman discovers to himself to be on an alien planet where he encounters his biological mother, Laura. As the hallucination wears off, he is face to face with his old flame, Lana Lang. In a flashback, it turns out that on the night that Clark learned his heritage, he went to Lana and revealed the truth of his powers to her. She confesses her feelings to him. She realizes that Clark can no longer belong to her, but he belongs to the world. And this fact uh, had hurt her. She had gone through a period of depression and finally accepts the facts. The next day, Superman thinks about what he, she said, and he starts worrying about where he truly came from. He goes to the location where Jonathan hid the rocket ship, and he's found that, uh, and he has found it only is only find that the ship the ship is gone. The hologram of Jor-El reappears and tells him to be silent and to learn. It appears that Superman is under some kind of uh, psionic attack. But when the Kents arrive in time and Jonathan breaks it off by attacking the Jor-El hologram with a shovel. The Superman, Superman flies away realizing that he was, it was not a mental attack but a download of knowledge of everything about Krypton into his brain. He finally knows his biological parents or where he came from and though he appreciates the knowledge he has been given, in the end he embraces his humanity even more. So it, it kind of sets up, you know, it, it ends the six-issue series, but it sets up the kind of the Superman we're going to see as Burn Joe goes into doing uh, the Superman. Yeah, I mean, it's a little dry, but you know, the issue dry. definitely needs to be uh, highlighted for the issue. notable inclusion. I mean, the the origin of Mackenzie Rubard Pie, first appearance of Mackenzie Rubard Pie. Yeah. Have any of you ever had rhubarb First pie? I think I've asked this before. Not plain I've rhubarb. Had, I've, I've had, had rhubarb. And it's, it's very tart. So I'm just like, like yeah, I want some now. And yeah, all I got is strawberry cheesecake. Yeah, I'm not getting Because that's her specialty. <laughs> she likes to do that. Not because she's a woman. Uh, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but this was a. a, a, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this nice, uh, I mean, nice, nice save there. Bro. An issue with a lot of big panels. I'm sure you noticed. Um, and uh, there was a lot, of really, really good imagery. It's almost like I, I don't know. Like more time was spent on this, and maybe you know, Giordano. Uh, Giordano didn't seem to, you know, like on the figure inks, they didn't have his flair to them that you're typically seeing. So I don't know if he. Uh, inked a lot of this one. Um, I can see in some of it, especially Clark's face, I see a bit of it in uh, Lana's face. Though the front cover, if you were to make Lana's hair black, she'd look like Winona Ryder in Stranger Things. Yep. Yeah, but as far as the story her. goes, yeah, I, I was just kind of, okay, that's what that means. So this this issue was not one that I went back to a whole lot. Though looking at it now, I 
uh, I like a lot of the imagery. The imagery of Krypton, of course, where a lot of people really seem to like Burns Krypton. And, and I'm not, I shouldn't say a lot of people. Vocal um, haters <laughs> of Burns' incarnation of Superman, that one thing that they seem to harp on more than anything is uh, Krypton's appearance and everything about Krypton. Like they wanted to stay the old Flash Gordon type style. You know, or, you I know, I know uh, exactly I, what you're describing, but it's funny. As a kid, I never questioned, I never made the connection to Flash Gordon. But now mm -hmm. in hindsight, it is so obvious that that was the inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. But what about what happened between Clark and Lana in all this? And Does you this wrap up Lana? What? Does this wrap Lana up? Well, I mean, it, it, it shows us what happened with her character in the time that Clark was gone. Now, she doesn't talk about the fact that she stalked him uh, for quite a while. You know, she just, you know, went and did her thing, and then she came back to Metropolis, and that's what Ma Kent's talking about. I don't think Ma Kent was aware that, that Lana was actually stalking Superman. Uh, that that really the the you know the readers wouldn't find out until issue number two um, that that Lana was and how she was able to find herself yeah. around all those um, appearances of Superman is is almost like a scary Mister Glass sort of uh, sort of thing because you know you never know when a, a big disaster is going to happen that's going to cause Superman to fly in and save the day. So, I mean, if a writer really wanted to, you know, flesh this out more, they could actually make Lana a uh, Mr. Glass type supervillain. Do you guys know what I'm talking about there? No. Well, Mr. no, no. Glass. Mr. Glass, yeah, the movie always, Unbreakable kind of with Bruce Willis and Samuel okay. Jackson. It's over 20 years old at this point. Yeah. And uh, two sequels have come out to it since uh, Split and then Glass. But. The and, and spoiler for anybody that hasn't seen uh, the movie, uh, Bruce Willis's character apparently has some form of um, invulnerability. Uh, the only thing he could really get harmed by would be uh, water, drowning in water. But um, and basically, Mr. Glass is his opposite. He's a guy that, that suffers uh, a uh, condition, much like Michael Bailey's wife where his bones are very brittle. And so he was referred to as Mr. Glass as a child. And he figured, you know, if I'm like this and I, you know, he basically, he's, he, he sees himself as a comic book character because his mom got him comic books. One of the things that he could do were necessarily injure himself. And he says, there must be somebody out there that the foil, that's the opposite of me. And so he creates all these accidents, trains crashing, planes, explosions, whatnot, so that he can find somebody that... They'd be revealed. They'd be revealed. And then and, and that happened with David Dunn, that Bruce Willis's character. He was in a right. train crash where everybody died and he wasn't injured at all. And so, you know, Glass, you know, approaches him and says all this stuff. He doesn't say to him, though, that, you know, yeah, you're the superhero, so there's got to be a supervillain. Though the, the the points are let out through the entire movie, at the very end, one of the things you find out about David Dunn is that if he touches somebody that happens to you know have malevolent thoughts, feelings, or whatever, he'll be able to sense it. 
and that's how he winds up saving the day in certain points. But at the at the end, you know, McGlass says, you know, we should shake hands now. And when he shakes hands, he realizes that he's the one that caused all those accidents to happen to, you know, reveal him. And he realizes, oh, my gosh, you know, he's my Lex Luthor. But instead of, you know, fighting him in a grand battle, he just called the police. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good twist at the it, end. It, I mean, it's a, uh, it's an M. Night Shyamalan yeah. movie, so you know there's going to yes. be a twist in the end. And that was his... Yeah. That was his second big, big film. It was, um, but yeah. I mean, you know, you look at Lana Lang, and you could make her out to be someone much like that. You know, I want to see Superman, so I'm going to cause a a disaster to happen. But I mean, again, this is just comic book writing and putting her in those situations so that Lex Luthor's people can, you know, find her and, you know, figure the situation out. Now I'm going to change subjects again and. Uh, it turns out that the the, the comic book that uh, that I've got the physical copy has an inset in this issue also, but it's a short ad for George Perez's Wonder Woman reboot. Yeah, I've read that. that there was a man that's gorgeous an and it's so well printed. Of course, it's on a glossier paper than the, the issue, and so uh, it it just makes it pop that much more. And of course. George's Wonder Woman is just perfect. Anyway, but that that's all I have. Do you guys think on uh, uh, look on the bottom of page four, left panel, where she's tossing his hair? You think that's like an homage to Spider Man? Oh yeah, that looks just like from Amazing Fantasy fifteen when when. Uh, I think it's either Aunt May does his hair or Uncle Ben does that Peter's hair. Or maybe when she's, they're waking him up. It's, that, it looked to me, but, but I thought uh, I thought the biggest thing I took away from this, which was uh, I liked the most, was in the end it 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 emphasizes that well, he, of course he realizes, which again I'd forgotten that he speculates that. They never thought he came from outer space. You know, he they thought he might have come from Russia. He might have been some government experiment from another country and that rocket crashed. They never thought he was like from an actual alien. And then he realized that he's like, oh, it makes sense. But it emphasizes that he is unlike the the character in the, the Man of Steel movies with the, the, the DC universe, the movies, where he seems to lean into his being an alien. This is yeah, I appreciate the fact that it came from this dying world and I'm the last right. survivor, but it, you know, it's Earth. I'm a human. Earth you know, gives me my humanity. I, feel, I take myself as a human. Yeah. I was raised here. I'm sharing right. that image you're Earth talking is my home. about, Tim. Yeah, Earth and is it's, my home. Peter's in bed and so, Uncle Ben um, is basically, you know, scrubbing yeah. his head like that, like like Mark Kent does. But yeah. 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 It might have been it might not have been an homage, but that just made me think of that immediately when I saw that. Um, so that's what I like that the, it, it, again, it's Clark is who he is. Superman is what he does. So it's not, he's not, yeah, he's a Kryptonian, but he was raised as a human. And he, he mentions in this, that his parents are probably, you know, the, you know, who else could be out know, there? The, the greatest parents are probably best cut out to raise somebody to be a decent person. Um, you know, and then, so you, you just basically, it's just, it's just a way to kind of get all that Kryptonian knowledge into him. So now I guess he's got all this uh, Kryptonian 
science and I guess stuff that would come out later that we you know I guess from that maybe that's what he builds. Didn't the Eradicator? When does he build the Fortress, Fortress of Solitude? The Eradicator built it. I thought post crosses. You guys can do that. Yeah, is okay. that right? Yeah, I thought the Eradicator built it in a time when George yeah. Perez and Keith Giffen were working I don't on know. Superman. Yeah, it must have been after I left the book and before I came back. So I don't. I mean, I can remember it being there after I uh, I came back around Death of Superman, but um, but I mean, other than that, it's 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 kind of a. I mean, the thing with Lana is kind of weird too that she's she was basically so hung up on him and that and that, you know because he he mentions that he tells his family his his mom and dad that he's kind of got Lois yeah he's kind of interested in uh, in Lois you know and he's thinking you know I need somebody in my life you know my life will be complete if I can find somebody like that and then he's I guess he's I don't know if this is the setup that maybe he's thinking well it could have been Lana because she says I thought you were going to propose to me the night that they kind of went on a walk and he tells her or shows her who he is. But then he says, you know, he kisses her like a, a brother kisses a sister. So it doesn't sound like he had any romantic uh, feelings for her. They were just, well, I mean, they were boyfriend, girlfriend, and that was reflected in later issues. Um, there was a drunk driving issue and others where they showed Clark and Lana's teenagers, you know, kind of partying and, and um, they had a friend get got uh, what, hurt or killed. But was that he was, also that wasn't until he left. Was he also dating the mermaid? At he this was basically point? Did he date her you know they didn't say he, he went to college, but he went to college at Metropolis U, and came across Lori Lamaris, and they actually pulled the story, the the Silver Age into the modern age, uh, basically you know it, it was in the, in the issue of Superman where they uh, he retold that that tale. Um, and it was the same thing, her wheelchair going really fast, him using his heat vision to slow it down, and their romance started. But that was after he had left. Yeah. Yeah. He had left. Because you figure he's 18 here, and this is the weird thing, because it's like, you know, basically after that football game, now football, of course, is played in the fall, and Pa Kent tells him all that, he just leaves. So he didn't graduate high school? He's, he or did he take night. a GED? Or they didn't really talk about that. Does anybody then talk? Whatever happened to Clark he Kent, a football player who just vanished one night in the fall? Tonight on <laughs> Unexplained Mysteries, we will <laughs> delve into this. Would that be Would that be uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes doing that show? <laughs> or... Sure. I as, as okay. Superman as Clark flies off, That's you right. hear I'm, the uh, the issues. Hulk. Departing theme. <laughs> hmm. That's right. <laughs> I'm not a real human. What else do we need to cover on this well, issue? Okay, Get so the, one of the things is that he goes back well, to they, where um, the the rocket was, and he finds it is gone, and he he sees tracks that were done there six months ago. So, again, I'm not exactly sure where in the story, where in, you know, basically, you know, he, his landing. Is it after the 18 months when he and Lois went and saw Lex Luthor? Probably yes. Was it after the Bizarro story? I have to assume it's after the Bizarro story, but. This, this 
Yeah, this seems oh, that's like right, this that's is right. all in, after, in issue uh, one when so he's fighting is, the tower the... and Lois, you're an alien. He goes, yeah, I only found out myself recently. So this has to be right before issue issue one of Superman. So we're talking. Right. I thought. Yeah, because I thought in that issue. So he what, said what he we was understand is, is that Clark was supposed to have been Superman five years to the warehouse. by the time issue one of Superman starts. So, so this, so so six months that's, that's before, like that's, that's the timeline. You know, uh, Clark. Uh, I mean, before issue one, and the whole Metallo thing, that's when Emmett Vale came here and took the rocket, even though he was aware of it five years before the first time Clark flew off as Superman, because we saw him at the barn. But we also saw him a couple years before, what seven years before when Pa Kent and Clark were out in this field and Pa was showing him that. Well, I think that's yeah. established here that he's Clark or Clark is 28. So I assume 10 years prior when he was having the, the talk with Lana, that was when they were 18. So if he left from, if he left for Metropolis, he was yeah kind of living in Metropolis and secretly helping people for like five years. Then he revealed. Then he becomes Superman. He's Superman for five years. So yeah, you're right. He he knew about this thing. Yeah, Vale's story doesn't years. quite why, make why sense and all that. Kid. And I mean, you just kind of have to go. Okay, comic books. Or you think that after Clark, after after Pa shows him the, the rocket, that hey, here's your rocket. You think. Clark would have hit it. I guess he was naive to think that, well, nobody's going to come find it or nobody knows about it. You know, why would you bury it deeper or cover it up with yeah. a, uh, a heavier something? You know, true, true. nobody true, can true. get to it, but that's the case. Man, Pot Kent on page 18 so. looks just, that is an angry parent right there with the shovel. <laughs> I thought that that whole sequence mm -hmm. really, really cool. Well, I was I'm kind of curious as to where the I would think the hologram would be would would be projected from the ship, but the ship's gone. So where's you want, you want a comic book answer the, to that? The hologram. Do you do you want a comic book answer to it? Yeah. Okay, Kryptonian technology yeah, uses hologram. the Kryptonian's own body yeah. to uh, provide the energy for it, since the Kryptonian bodies are able to process. Stellar energies. Okay. So it's all coming right off of Clark. That's why it's got so much energy that when Clark can't hit it with the shovel, it pretty I'll much buy that. I'll buy that. Agrees. The shovel. So yeah, yeah use Clark's own energy to, to create that. That's that's again my hypothesis based on what we know of this Superman. No, you could say that there's something inside. Clark himself, that's Kryptonian, that's, you know, makes him a receptor to uh, this. Maybe it's the. Yeah, the Emmett Vale took it to his lab. Never find and out what that's where it was. It was in Emmett Vale's lab. He so it off of it. Clark put it up in the Lagrange point between the Earth and the Moon. And I don't know whatever he did with that. So that that lab yeah. with the ship in it is, is in orbit. Huh. Now, if I remember right, there was a. Airsat's Fantastic Four group, 
and the leader of them, their their version of Mr. Fantastic, uh, you know, they they got the same bombarded by cosmic rays, and each of them had different things happen to them. And he eventually became the one known as the Eradicator, or part of the Eradicator, because he came across Superman's ship and got whatever was in it. And and ultimately, that's where that device, the Eradicator, came from. But uh, golly, I don't remember all this stuff because I only I only read some of it once, and I didn't read the whole thing. Yeah, I saw bits and pieces for me. I, I remember him mm-hmm. coming back from. That was uh, a Dan Jurgen. That's a Superman thing. story. Um, but yeah, well, not, not this is a tangent, but the 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 guy that becomes not Metallo, yeah. but the cyborg Superman, that guy, he's an he was an astronaut that was maybe that was maybe dying he's the radiation one I'm thinking or something, of. and then he come across some kind of Kryptonian. The guy that comes, he's a and he's got you know he's got a a mad on for Superman because he thinks Superman didn't save him or something. Meta- Magneto. The guy that I remember him. No. no. No, 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 um, no. Magnus. Was it Magneto? It wasn't Magneto. Maximoff. Was no. Metallo. It was, uh... No, it, that's, that's, not, metal that's something. not who he's thinking of here, and I'll, I'll be able to find it here in a minute. But, it's not, uh... not Metallo. Doc Magnus. He's the, you know, because he... he uh... He was like a, he was an astronaut, got, they all got exposed to radiation. He started to die and he died and his body was like, became incorporeal or something floating around in the the space, kind of like what happened to the abomination. And he comes across, I think he, maybe he comes across the, the birthing ship and that's how he somehow merges with it and he can control metal and he's, um, I don't know, that's, that's all you know, coming bits and pieces that are coming back, but um, well, let me ask this. We probably brought this up, but like, you guys that were because I was not reading Superman at this time. I jumped onto Superman with his this um, this miniseries. Those of you guys that had read pre-Crisis Superman, what did you think of Burns? You know, did this establish a good startup for the new Superman? I really enjoyed it. Or did you think no, You're that's not my us? Superman? I'm not going to read it. Uh, I would have to say this was just another wrinkle in the the Superman mythology, and I enjoyed it because I caught that he was trying to explain various aspects of uh, you know Clark or or, uh, Superman's mythology and answer questions about shaving or his costume, what have you. Um, I didn't think it was revolutionary. Um, I didn't get upset about it, but I bought every issue. Um, you know, I did not read the prior two stories, which were apparently whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, which I've been told I really missed the boat that that was that they are classics. So, you know, does that answer your question? It didn't. It, this was not earth shattering for me. And I heard the controversy and people yeah, complaining was, about things, yeah. but it's like it's comics, you know, next Right. Well, I wonder if they're complaining because it wasn't what they were used to or because he had radically changed. I mean, I don't see it in him radically changing the character or his origin. 
or is it just more of I think that's, that's not it. my I think that's not that's what I was the used to, and I don't like because I don't think it's that okay. radical of a change. Yeah. DC wouldn't let him go as far as he wanted. Um, you know, this is still the big blue Boy Scout, and I can see to some degree Christopher Reeve filling these shoes or influencing uh, the development of the character at this point. I was just really surprised because I didn't catch that Byrne left with 22 and the killing of the uh, the, the Phantom, spoilers, killing of the Phantom Zone criminals. Uh, gosh, I didn't even catch that, that Byrne had left. I just kept on buying and kept on reading it for a while yet. The Exile in Space and what have you. I was enjoying those. And ultimately, I don't remember where, but I drifted away and said, okay, that's enough for me. Yeah, for me, um, you know, I, I kind of with Kirk, I mean, there were some things that I was like, eh, you know, that that's a big change. But I, I, I was, uh, I enjoyed the, the new Superman. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't dislike any of the big changes. I thought it was nice, fresh take on stuff. Uh, I was looking forward to seeing how, what direction we go. And it was kind of fun to be part of the, the reintroduction of the characters. Uh, it did. I mean, it's not, for some of the fans, it's not, I think, uh, well, for me, I'm not going to speak for fans, but for me, it wasn't that, oh, it's not my Superman, but it's just like, well, this is different. I mean, and when you make a complete radical turn from characterizations and relationships and things, you, there's there has to be an adjustment time. And, and yeah, people are going to grumble, and I might have grumbled about this or that, but um you yeah. know, it takes a while to kind of get used to that new that new direction, and then it kind of it's smoothed out. Um, Kirk, I'm probably one of the very few people who hate that whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow two part story. I think it was a terrible way to end the Silver Age and Bronze Age Superman. I think it's I think it was bad. So, oh, but I'm one of those people. It. So don't hate me. I mean, I have an opinion like everyone else, and wow. I don't like the story. <laughs> I haven't read it. I know. That's that's funny because that's usually held up as being. I, I think it totally uh, disregards really everything. You know, I, I, you know don't. It, that was uh, good about the Bronze and Silver Age super. Uh, you know, I think it's. I think it. I just don't think it did it justice. Someday we'll. Have I, I I just felt it was a story that could be easily easily right. ignored because right. it was an imaginary tale. In that, you know, it wasn't a part of that previous continuity anyway. It was just, okay, we're going to do this to, you know, tie a bow in it and say goodbye. But I'd already said goodbye. I, yeah. I was ready to move on. And, and you know, the thing is, like, I, I kind of came across it uh, not in time, but later. And so, you know, because uh, it's like I didn't know that Byrne was coming to, to Superman. And... Um, but I, it, it just I, I saw it for what it was. Um, and I did like what Moore had done in another Superman story for the the man was it, for the Superman who has everything with the Black Mercy he did with Dave Gibbons. I thought that was his best best Superman story ever. But, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm hot and cold with Alan Moore. So uh, I think most people. Are, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a. a uh, I'm blanking on his name anyway. Uh, I know that Scott Gardner, this is his Superman. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure he was he was rating Superman. I don't think he'd started here. He was, he's was he been a Superman fan his whole life. Uh, 
but this is his Superman. So if that certainly shows that a, a longtime fan can, if anything, embrace a character even more based on this, because I know this is his, what he thinks is, is Superman. Um, you know, and again, I, I only way I would be able to re- relate to this if they had, if they fundamentally change like Spider-Man, then that, that'll, that'll get my hackles up, you know, cause I, that, that's, that's how I kind of relate to this. Like, no, that's not, that's not Spider-Man. That's not right. You know, his character wouldn't do that. So that would be, uh, something like that. Cause I've read that my whole, you know, most of my comic life, this, you know, I, and I don't remember how I knew, uh, cause wizard wasn't around. So I don't know how I knew that he was, uh, maybe it was posters in the comic shop or something, but that burn was moving to Superman. And that's when I started reading it and started reading all, you know, um, when you jump ship from FF over to this, but I liked it. I mean, I liked his take on Superman. I, I think the artwork has always been beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not having a reference to Superman really. So maybe I started off clean that made it easier for me to like it. Um, you know, when he left the book, like in most days when, you know, when artists would leave, I would tend to drift off a book. I wouldn't, a writer couldn't keep me on a book. You gave them a chance, so, but if they didn't really hold your attention, you just kind of, yeah, right, that's, right. It that's just, I would stay on for a little bit longer than just kind of, I faded that's out. what happened with most of us. Um, I think, yeah, because it's a visual medium. I mean, at that time it was, the artist was king and it was, it was the look of the book. Um, and you weren't, you know, when you're first starting out, you don't recognize bad writing the way you would with, you would bad writing is a stick out as much as bad art, bad right. art. You get it right away. Like, Oh, this is terrible. Right. I'm not going to read, I'm not going to read this. So you're not as discerning as a young comic reader, but well, I was um, starting to get more picky about the writing. Um, in, 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 in a lot of my books at the time, because, you know, it's like, I saw what happened in Hulk once Byrne left and now Milgram came in and then, you know, Superman, you know, Byrne does Superman. And as soon as he left Superman, you had Roger Stern in there. And Roger Stern's a great writer, one of my favorites. He's written some of my favorite stories. But there are other writers and artists that came in on other books that, you know, just didn't have the same kind of chops that Roger did. That being said, I really liked some of the books that were coming out. I did like Dan Jurgens because I always saw Dan Jurgens' Superman work following Burn as kind of like Burn Light, uh, not not as clear and crisp on the art. And I didn't understand that because his art on Booster Gold was very clear and crisp. But when he come to, came to Superman, the inkers they put on him just didn't give him the same pop. Or when he inked himself, it just wasn't the same pop as what we saw in Booster Gold. But that's just my opinion. I could I could be wrong. I thought Superman was pretty strong after it didn't. Some books, you know, when a, a creator will leave, it just drops off. Some well, somebody better. They comes definitely, off. you know, they definitely opened up the universe when they took him out into space and he did it, the whole exile story and, and they reintroduced Mongol and War World and all of that. They 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 opened up the the universe, which Byrne hadn't done yet. I mean, Superman right. had gone out into space a couple times with the Hawkman, the Green Lanterns and such, but there wasn't any magnum opus of Superman in space like the Exile storyline. And I thought that was a good stroke, a good idea. I, I didn't necessarily like the motivation for it. Right. But uh, I did like, you know, the, what, 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 what the story gave us. Did anybody have any last thoughts here at Man of Steel? Because I have two things I want to bring up before we wrap this up. No, I, I think we kind of 
I just yeah. I said what I thought about it. That was a good it was a good start, I think a it, good launching point. Yeah, I think it was a good six issue, nice introduction to uh, if they're going to do a restart like this. I I think this is a good way to do it. Kirk, yeah, I agree. Go ahead, wrap uh, up. And yeah, I loved it too. Now, there's two things to bring up. Number one, comic book sales. Now, there's not really exact numbers available i've been looking all around trying to find the exact numbers but what i have found um was that uh in basically just the numbers of the of the highest selling books man of steel one through six was number one each month that it came out except um in the the the, the double months where they had you know of course two at the same time uh man of steel two did not sell as well as man of steel number one Mm-hmm. But Man of Steel and Man of Steel three sold better than Man of Steel four and five. Mm, and that's got because it gets the Batman. Issue. Yeah, got yes. but the, the, those months like June, July, and August, Man of Steel were the number one books. Um, September and October was also Superman. Uh, the 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 proper series uh, had the highest sales. After that, X Men took back over, and X Men was. Prior to that, it was either X Factor or Uncanny X-Men or Classic X-Men were the top selling books of the months leading up to it. And in the, in those months Classic when X-Men is a reprint book, Classic Imagine X-Men that, number one, but it has original material in there, yeah. too. The John Bolton yeah. Claremont stories. Yeah. So do you have numbers on the actual issues sold? That's the part where I can't get good numbers because there's multiple distributors and nobody ever added it all up. I saw one distributor. Uh, from Comicron came out at 125,400 for Man of Steel number one. Now I've heard sales numbers of nearly a million, but not recorded anywhere, which is why Jim Lee's X Men number one shows the highest sales of a comic book. Highest, um, and that's 125 still seems low. Yeah, that that seems really really low, and that's the highest one you know on the board there from Comicron. And of course, that's again that's probably just coming from Diamond Director. Uh, Action Direct, uh, you know, one of the distributors. They don't give a whole lot of uh, other information. They started keeping track of it just a few years later, but it wasn't really covered here. Yeah. But it, it they would, I guarantee you, nowadays they would the kill for those out. numbers. Right. They would kill for those numbers right now. Now, here's the other thing. And when Byrne started Man of Steel, he had a, a thing where, that he wrote in there where he says, whenever I start any book, I always say I'm going to stay on it for 100 issues. And we all know that hasn't really happened. Ever, ever. It's ever taken place. <laughs> except that it has. See, when Mike Grell gets on a book, well, Mike Grell's not a good example. Let's use um, Alan Moore or um, just uh, John Basima. When they get on a book, they do, they do their job. Alan Moore writes a book. John Basima draws a book. All right. And John stays on a book for years and years. You know, he stayed up. He did uh, many, many issues of the Avengers, many, many issues of Conan. And, you know, he you know, did all that. And he gets credit for doing all those books. But when you look at Superman, you give Byrne credit for doing 22 issues, right? But right. how doing? many jobs did he do on each book? Now, well, that's getting a yeah. I mean, that's getting a little nitpicky if you want to say. Be, but it's, up so his writer is, okay, he wrote the books, he drew the books, and he inked the books. That's three jobs 
on each one of those things. And then <laughs> for uh, 20 okay, different books <laughs> of generations, he lettered the book. So if you look at his initial run, and we're talking Man of Steel, Superman, Adventures of Superman, Action Comics, World of Krypton, World of Smallville, World of Metropolis, including each of the individual jobs of writing, drawing, inks, and letterer, burned in 115 issues worth of jobs. If you want to take his entire body of work at DC on Superman, he did 325 issues worth of work. Now, if it was John Basima, you'd count each book as, as one. If he did another job, he'd give him credit for that. But he's not, but well, Byrne I, doesn't get that credit because, well, it's John Byrne. Well, it's, they're not, I don't think they're singling him out. I mean, it's, it's, there were not, there aren't a lot of writer artists out there. Right. Uh, you know, they're, it's, you know, it's a team effort, but I mean, I, I think you have to read that as how many issues does he do? Right, right. Well, you don't count. I know. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm yeah. just trying to give it a distinction there that he did a hell of a lot of work in all that. Well, yeah, right. I don't, and I don't think anybody is arguing that he didn't, you know, that he does, doesn't do, you know, uh, he, you know, he certainly pulls his weight, but, and I, and I don't, that's, that's, you know, is has that been proven that he's actually said that that he would do a hundred issues? He he states in, in uh, I want to say it was Man of Steel number one. He wrote his little thing. So I thought he said that when he came onto the Hulk. That's the first time I'd heard the him accredited to that that he was going to do. Let me take a look here. Um, says that. And it could it could have been in the Hulk. I may have uh, misstated that. And I just don't know if that's apocryphal if he actually said that because. Uh, I don't think he'd make it. That's that's just a tremendous amount of workload. Right? Peter David did it, but again, Peter David only wrote. Yeah, but he's not doing a hundred issues of everything. He and touched. Jack Kirby did it. Jack Kirby did a hundred issues of Fantastic Four. Well, yeah. Well, he. I mean, Byrne almost had a hundred issues of, or came the closest with FF. But to say that, you know, just think about it. If he says I'm going to do a hundred issues of everything I I work on. He's not going to have time to do anything else unless he's doing multiple issues, multiple series per, you know, uh, in parallel to each other. But. Yeah, I'm going to have to really hey, dig uh, into that because, uh, I mean, the thing he wrote in the back of Man of Steel number one, Superman, a personal view, is three columns, six inches of type. And it's really small and I don't have my glasses. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was a, a statement that Byrne made at that point in time that, you know, that he always says to himself, I'm going to do 100 issues. Now, there's nobody that can guarantee they're going to do that that amount of work in that much time. But, right. you know, it's just right. something you want to say to yourself, you know, that, that you know, you, you can make that long of a road. And you, you can you can, you know, try to do it. Now, the the things that we've learned over the years in regards to Byrne leave, leaving those books is that it typically never is, you know, it's not just, okay, I've said everything I want to say, so I'm leaving, except on, say, Alpha Flight or Wonder Woman. And on Wonder Woman, he was on her for more than three years. He's actually on her longer than he was on X-Men, and he yeah. completed his story. He was, you know satisfied with, with the work that he did everything else either got canceled like the demon or 
you know, other books that he was on, X-Men Hidden Years. Well, I bet if you ask most comic artists or writers, if that's, that's true, that I think, I bet most of them would say they never get a chance to, you know, tell everything they want to tell or to accomplish what they want to accomplish before they are, they either move on because of some, you know, creative differences or they're asked to leave or the book is canceled or uh, things of that nature. You know, it's, it's um, nature of the I mean, business. Yeah, that's just, a na- that's just exactly, absolutely exactly. You know, I mean, you know, hmm. I mean, Kirk, can you say you've told all the weather you've ever wanted to tell? Oh, I just turned 65. Yeah, I think I've told all that I need to tell. Uh, the fact that the weather's constantly changing, you can't. That's right. I have so many, I have so well, many stories. And that's I why the job is, is a secure one, because there's always going to be another day. There's always going to be another weather pattern. And they don't care if you're mm-hmm. wrong. Right. Until they create <laughs> that weather kidding. that weather that weather system, Kirk, yeah, you're you've got a job. Right. Well, is there anything else we need to cover? No, I think we can wrap this yeah. up. I think we've done a pretty good job uh covering and I'm I I wanna say thanks, Kirk, for you coming on. I know you weren't feeling well. Uh we missed you last time we talked this. Yeah, I listened to that. Um, you did a good job. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um no, has anybody got any final words uh on uh, I think we've covered more Superman on this show than anything else. I think X-Men might be next, but we've covered a ton of Superman. I, I still think we've covered more Marvel stuff altogether. Yeah, but we have. Well, I think that's because he's he's more Marvel, Marvel guy. guy yeah. yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. It, it's about you, you, a you would think that we would have more Fantastic Four by now, and we really should delve into right. Fantastic have, Four yeah. Yeah. a good bit. But, you know, the, the fortunate thing is that we've got, like, you know, the new issues of X-Men Elsewhere that we've been doing and we've got, you know, I mean, there's just been a good body of stuff and have been trying to, you know, give some sort of, I don't know, variables to to what we're doing so that we're not focused on the same thing all the time. But we have done a good bit of Superman. And I, I yeah, figured that you yeah. would want to do some Star Trek this year being the 55th anniversary, but we've done a good bit of Star Trek also, so... We have done. I'd like to do some more of the uh, the photo novels. Yeah. Uh, we've kind of covered a lot of his, um, and we could what we could do is revisit some of the Star Trek stuff, his drawn stuff, and cover it like this. Instead of doing issue at a time, we could cover say Assignment Earth, cover all of it. We could do uh, the crew, mm-hmm. you know, cover that and cover all four issues quicker than not could be been. So we get some of that. We could, I think, we could certainly revisit. I, and I, we haven't touched, we haven't touched any of his next men, and I think that's something. Yeah, that's that's something I've been prepping is to 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 read some next men. Yeah, and, and I know generations is hot on your list. Yeah, uh, yeah, but the generations, I think, I think we should do each individual book as its own thing, um, and not the whole series because that's just that would be. Each book deserves. Um, yeah, you could do that. Well, you could do that as a series, kind of like uh, Back to Benzo's Avengers Spotlight. Yeah. You could do those, you know, spread them out <clears throat> over several. And I years. know that Scott Gardner so, would like to be involved in any Generations yeah, talk, and I would really definitely like yeah. to to keep, you know, get him in there for that. Um, yeah. No, there's a lot, a lot to cover, a lot that we haven't covered. Uh, and I'm sure there's stuff that we could, you know, get into that, that we hadn't even thought about. A lot of his early stuff. Um, 
that, you know, we haven't looked at a lot of this Charlton beyond um, Willie and the Chopper Bunch, Doomsday mm. Plus One, and then Wait, Space well, we did, 1999. We did, yeah. right. But he did a lot there. He actually did an issue of Emergency. Right. That's kind of interesting. Well, that's that's up there with maybe that maybe that is like we do a Charlton kind of retrospective mm -hmm. instead of covering individual. And then there's Raj kind of Raj two thousand. You know that was in E Man and also in that one shot. Um, and yeah. all, there's a, a a number of things in the Charlton Bullseye as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, there's a wide wide range of comics to do. We still haven't done Indiana Jones, which we talked to Scott Gardner about doing also. Yeah, and uh, I'd really, really like to cover that. And we need to think about because we are in, uh, as we record this, we're in the uh, early month of October. Mm -hmm. Last year we did our Halloween show on the Alien Earth Angel. Uh, we need to think about what we can do for a Halloween show. Uh, so everybody, kind of think what maybe, uh, maybe we'll I'll post that on Facebook and say, hey, readers, what do you guys want? You know, what's a a good because uh, we've done the Christmas story, which was the demon story on next, mm -hmm. and we did the aliens. Um, and I think we've have we done Dracula, that very his very first work from Marvel. Um, we, yes, we talked did. about we it. I don't think we did full coverage yeah. of it. Um, I thought we did. We talked about did we uh, Angel, but we didn't really the Angel it, the Angel Frankenstein. It was a Frankenstein story. Yeah. I'd like to to take a larger look at Blood and Trenches just because Burns' art in that is, uh, and, and if you guys aren't familiar with it, his penciling on that was such super tight pencils, even tighter than what you're seeing in Elswin. Um, and it's done in such a way that it's really almost impossible to ink. Uh, really, really gorgeous, gorgeous work. So there's a, a lot to look at there. But I'd like to hear what Kirk and John and David, you know, think and want to do. Well, one of the actors of Emergency just passed away. I'm not familiar with oh, the series, right. but one of the uh, one of the supporting Is characters. Is it Randolph, Randolph Mantooth? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I just saw something on Facebook last night and went, oh. So maybe that's, that's appropriate timing. But uh, I wouldn't mind if we haven't done Dracula. That would seem to be something good for Halloween. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, it's a short, you, it's a short story. Well, let's, let's take this discussion offline and let's let okay. everybody know where they can find us and how they can write to us and um, how they can review us. Anybody want to cover that? Or are you going to make me do it again? I'll do <laughs> it because I don't ever do. I don't ever do it. All right. Uh, well, we're on Facebook at Third Degree Burn, which is where we get a lot of our feedback. And we post the show. So if you're and our membership's growing, I think we're 350, 360 wow. now. So we are really uh, reaching people. Uh, and you can also email us at gotta get burned at gmail.com. We read emails sometimes when we, <laughs> when we can think about them. But we do appreciate any, any emails because uh, we, otherwise we don't know. Otherwise, we just we don't know how we're doing. We think we're doing great and we may be doing terrible. You can go, go to, uh, is it iTunes or is it Apple Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, whatever your, uh, wherever, however you, uh, you get your podcasts, 
Uh, but you can leave us a review and look, we've had one in quite a while. Um, and you know, not to, if, if, if you don't feel like giving us a five-star review, don't, but if you think we're doing good, give us a good review. Cause that helps other people find the show. I think that has something to do with search engines or something. We do have a new and, email. Yeah. We have one from uh, Nigel, yep. right? Did we read yeah. his uh, email on champions? I think so. Okay. We read two of his last last issue, but this one I think we're running kind of long, so I think we can save. Yeah, we'll save it for next time. Our next because he's talking show. about our and the steel coverage. Right. Yeah. So we can, you know, he'll probably write in for this one, and we'll be worried about them. Put them both together. That sounds great. Right. Thank so you, that, Rick. That's our. That's the way you can get to us. And I want to thank my uh, co-hosts. It's always a pleasure, Kirk and John and Brian. Uh, sorry, David couldn't make it, but he's uh, contemplating his uh, his worth at the Fortress of Solitude. So. <laughs> hopefully he'll uh hopefully he'll uh he'll, do that. he'll uh, find some inner peace there so yep yep so uh for third degree burn uh i am tim elliott i'm brian hughes go ahead i'm kirk greenfield thanks for joining i'm brenda vaccaro yeah <laughs> He looked like me. I no understand. It's all right. Calm down. How? How could he? I'm Superman. Me. <clears throat> me. What's happening to him? Why isn't he following my orders? I warned you. The alien DNA was unlike anything we'd cloned before. It must be breaking down. I say we abort. Activate the auto-destruct. Get rid of them all while we can. We are not scrapping the project for one glitch. Take this opportunity to learn, Doctor. Study him for the sake of the others. Come, let's look you over. What going on? Me am Superman? Yes, yes, of course you are. At least his programmed memories are holding, although the damage has clearly affected some parts of his brain. No kidding. <sighs> what am me? Bizarro, that's what you am. Mercy. Bizarro? That not my name. If the shoe fits, handsome. No, me am Superman. Me am hero. Me show you. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to 
gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.